1: From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Everything I do, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric, And as you probably know by now, we're Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics! Hoosier Hysterics!
0: Hello
2: Ward. Hello Eric. Ooh, that was like your ASMR voice.
1: Yep. Nope. Nope. Nothing. Nothing. Zoom no ASMR. Zoom is not picking up your crinkling paper.
2: Zoom doesn't like ASMR. Uh, are you in a better mood this week than you were last week?
1: For sure, but it's only because we've already spoken to our two guests today and sure. they really brought up the mood because, they, you know, I've been ruminating for sure, and these, these guys help.
2: Look, we wanted to have a more positive, optimistic episode this week because yeah. last week, look, we know. We, we were raw, we were emotional, and we just spewed what was on our minds, and for some it was too much and too depressing. I get it. This week is different, at yeah. least until it's not.
1: I'll tell you, I don't think I would have listened to last week's episode, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but but we gotta we gotta keep it real. Well, obviously, we're not we're not professional, objective, cold blooded <clears throat> journalists, uh, pundits. We're IU fans, and we're friggin' crushed. And that was before we got beat by Miami again.
2: If you had the get me the f out of here app on last week's podcast would you've used it to get out of doing the podcast?
1: Yes, but you know that nobody knows what that app is because you don't talk about it until later in the episode. Don't I talk about it in the intro? We're doing the intro now. You're doing you're no, going to do that. No,
2: we just came up oh yeah. fuck <laughs> that's all right
1: now there's anticipation they're going to be like what is get the f out now? our episodes are like the movie inception and <laughs> yeah. memento it's just yeah.
2: all very strange we play with <laughs> linear time like mm-hmm. we're just you know we're the multiverse over here i yeah, saw quantum right. over the weekend was it mediocre no no really it sucked Oh, okay. It wasn't even mediocre. No. One character is really funny, but the movie doesn't make any sense. It's really, it's not a good effort on their part.
1: I think Bob Iger's right. They got to dial it back on Marvel and less is going to be more going forward because I'm burnt out on that. I'll tell you that much. I think they just have to ask themselves one simple question. Mm -hmm.
2: Does the world need another and then fill in the blank. <laughs> and if the question is, does the world really need another Ant Man and the Wasp movie? <laughs> the answer is no. We got it with the first two and the 15 Avengers movies that they're in. Like yeah. we did, the world isn't dying for, like, hey, Black Panther, did the world need another Black Panther movie? I would say yes, based on what happened with Chadwick Bozeman. Like yep. we needed to complete that story a little bit. That's great, but we don't need another Ant Man and the Wasp movie. No one is going. Like, what happened to the Wasp? Like, it's just—it's not necessary. There is one really good character in it. Okay, so after I confused everybody's mind by that, um, I am in a better mood too,
1: in part because we're in the middle of a recruiting cycle it's crazy we're like you know and and it's i i was part of what was getting me down was like i can't believe i have to wait until the nfl draft for the colts and it's gonna be so many months until iu basketball is a thing that's on the court again but to your point you go to peaks.com and like the action is already hot and heavy like we're going to be finding this stuff out in weeks not months
2: yeah, I'll be honest with you. I am so confused right now on where we are in the show. <laughs> I don't know what is coming up next. I do know, however, that no matter where we are in the show, we are always...
1: Powered by... Communitycars.com Sponsor of the pod, Lujer Hysterix Communitycars.com Illusion Legends talk with Warden Eric
2: we are just two world-class idiots <laughs> yeah we're just like trying to top
1: each other in stupid <laughs> listen
2: communitycars.com we fooled them <laughs> yeah. um uh love i recently passed ten thousand miles on my chevrolet suburban that i got from community cars the thing runs like a dream. I love it. It's my favorite car I've ever owned. And part of what makes it my favorite car is that it got delivered from Indiana. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just love that I bought it from community cars, that it supports community cars because it's a business that is dedicated to supporting the IU and Bloomington community. And they support NIL and they support IU athletics. I love that I didn't give it to like, you know, keys on Van Eyes out here. Keys, the,
1: keys, 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 keys on Van, on Van, Van Eyes.
2: Yeah, exactly. I'm glad that's not what I'm glad I'm not paying for that orchestration, but I am playing, helping to pay and support community cars. And you should too. They make the process as easy as humanly possible, whether you want to do it in person, whether you want to do it on the phone, whether you want to do it online. Uh, any way you want to do it, they will make it as easy as humanly possible. You'll get the best price that they can possibly give you. You'll get the best service that you will ever get. And you'll walk away from the experience feeling good about yourself, knowing that your hard-earned dollars are going to a good company.
1: Also, when you buy a car at Community Cars, free ice cream for life. <laughs> from I where? Uh, from, uh, Chocolate loose. They- uh yeah, chocolate moose. Let's, yeah. let's just <laughs> let's move into another things, business. Yeah, let's just promise things we can't deliver for multiple IU institutions.
2: In fact, if you take that sticker off of a car that that is always on cars for sale, and just take it to Chocolate Moose, you get to rent out the store for a night.
1: Yes. Also, you don't even have to buy a community car car. If you go into Buffaloes and you say, hey, Ed, they said on the podcast, you give me a bunch of free wings. He will.
2: Yeah. Just go to Ed and ask for free wings. (laughs) Nothing Ed likes more than giving away stuff for free.
1: Tell him Eric sent (laughs) you.
2: All right. Well, we've got a packed show today, Ward, an absolutely packed show. Filled with optimism and hope and great stories, and let's just get into the first one, which is a story that happened. Well, it's been—it's a story that started in tragedy about a year ago, and the the end of this chapter of the story is as good as it could possibly be. It happened this weekend at the state finals, triumphant, and dear, triumphant. triumphant, And and its central figure is an Indiana Hoosier. So let's
1: get to that one. Here comes a guest. Here comes. Against. Ladies and gentlemen, he's back, but something's changed since the last time this gentleman was with us. Um, it's uh, It's been a momentous weekend for this man and his program. Eric, who do we have?
2: Well, we know him as a man who I believe shot a career percentage of 99.4% from the three-point line. Uh, his average distance on a three was 62 feet. I think that those are all real numbers. We of course know him as just a sharpshooter extraordinaire, helped our team go to the sweet 16 way back in 2011, 12, but that's not why we have him on today. We have him on. Because in just his first year as being the head coach of Fort Wayne's Blackhawk Christian High School, he recently this weekend won the state 2A championship with his team in a remarkable story. They outlasted and outcompeted Linton Stockton 52 to 45 for the state championship. If I'm not mistaken, only the third state championship in school history. It uh, We're going to get into why this was such an emotional uh achievement, but an unbelievable achievement. And Hoosier Nation was cheering across the globe, supporting one of our own. You I, I wonder if he knows this. The first former uh player at Indiana University to win a state championship as a head coach since Bill Garrett in 1959, I believe. <laughs> I mean, when you're on a list with Bill Garrett, you've done well for yourself. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome state champion head coach, Matt Roth.
3: Well, thank you guys. Thanks for having me on. And I appreciate the warm welcome. I think, uh, some of those shooting numbers were inflated uh, kind of like my golf game right now. So, uh, uh, but I appreciate the love and, uh, and certainly we could feel the support of a lot of uh, of fellow Hoosiers uh, when we were down in Indianapolis this last weekend.
1: Uh, Matt, is this, uh, have you won a championship before? I'm trying to think of your high school career. I didn't look back or, you know, AAU, YMCA. uh, Have you done it before?
3: Well, I think probably along the way at the, at the youth levels um, in various tournaments um, made it to the state finals in high school. Okay. um, And then, uh, and then watched my wife win one as a volleyball head coach at the same school um, back in 2016. Um, And so me myself have not, uh, not ever had that opportunity to to play or coach for a state title until this last weekend. Um, And so it was a a tremendous year. Um, Certainly one, I mean, The coach gets a lot of credit, but uh, I couldn't have done it without the the 12 guys in uniform who who worked their tails off this year.
2: Well, let's talk about uh, just the afterglow of winning a state championship. Have you watched the game back on tape yet?
3: I have not. um, I have not watched the game back. Um, We got back from Indianapolis um, and had a little get together as a team. Um, We actually watched the 4A game um, to watch Ben Davis go for a perfect season. Um, and so we watched that and just hung out. Um, and then Sunday, for the first time in the better part of a month and a half of, of postseason basketball, I just kind of took the day and spent it at home, relaxed, spent the time with the kids, um, and a allowed of my wife some time to get out of the house and and breathe for a little bit because she's been a rock with the three kids and and understanding, you know, there are times where I've got to watch film or I've got to go to meetings uh, for you know the postseason. um and so have not had a chance today. I was able, I listened to, um, uh, Brett Rump, uh, a local guy here in Fort Wayne posted, um, the last 11 minutes and change where, where we went from, uh, from down 10 to ultimately up seven at the end. Um, and so I listened to the audio of that just to hear, you know, the play by play, but also the crowd reaction and all the stuff because you're, you're almost in a glass bubble when you're in that stage. Um, you know, you and your team are, On that platform to play and compete but you you lose track of you know the the environment that is a high school gym in indiana
1: do you already have a sense i'm sure the showing in indianapolis was fantastic i don't know if there was a a rally as you guys got back to town or if one's planned later in the week but do you already what what feeling do you have already of how much this title means not to just you and your team and your families but the community
3: Oh, it's just a, a tremendous achievement. Um, you know, our Blackhawk community is very special. Um, you know, it's it's firmly rooted in our faith. Um, and then ultimately, you know, I was I was at Blackhawk 2013 to 16 as an assistant for right. our former coach Mark Davidson, who lost his battle with cancer last uh, last spring. Um, and so the emotions over the last two years, and being a basketball junkie, and even being away from the program, you follow it so closely here in Fort Wayne. Um, and so to see what that team did a year ago, and how hard they battled and competed, and and ultimately lost in overtime late in the postseason, um, and just the heartbreak uh, for that community um, as they as they stood firm and, and watched, you know, Coach Davidson Mark continue to fight, you know, to his last days, uh, but also that realization of of you know that year being over. It was a special group a year ago. Um, I was fortunate to inherit some of those great players this year um, along with some great young talent um and so for our community um just to be able to rally back and and lift up our seniors who've had a difficult difficult four-year career i mean when you think about their freshman year um their season the couple that were playing varsity as freshmen gets cut short after a sectional championship because of covid so they lose what in many minds was probably one of our better teams they lose a, a chance at a state title um, then they come back their sophomore year and win one um, with Caleb First and, and company, um, and then last year the the heartbreak of the diagnosis, the cancer battle, um, the weight of that season that you know these high school kids that you know there's not many places that they carry that burden um, and and carry it so well um, in terms of what they what they represent, um, but then to come back as a senior and kind of be able to go out on that high note of of competing, achieving their goals, but also kind of bringing to, to close uh, a tremendous cycle that has been so emotional for our community. Um, and that's the one thing I I took from the audio today, just listening to the last 11, like you could, you could just feel it was different, that those, those cheers, that roar, it was, there was a lot of emotion um, that was, I think, probably built up over the last couple of years that that flowed out in a lot of different ways, um, and so I'm just so proud of our guys. Um, it wasn't an easy game. It um, wasn't an easy season being my first, but uh, they they fought, they battled, um, they stayed true to who we are, and and ultimately came out with a, a state championship, which I'm so proud of.
2: So let's talk a little bit about how this came to be for you, and it is you know, tangled up with tragedy, truthfully. Uh, mm-hmm. As you said, you were an assistant coach there for several years under Coach Davidson. And then, uh, unfortunately, after the last season, you know, he had to step away and then and then lost his battle. And it's been less than a year that you were named head coach. You had kind of gotten out of coaching and were fo- focusing on your business at, at that point. Was it a hard decision for you to come in uh, to that situation? And how... I can just imagine how emotionally charged it was because you had to know that you were stepping in because this guy who I know you had tremendous respect for and who means so much to the community was was fighting a a battle that ultimately he could not win. what What was that like for you?
3: Oh, it's uh, I still I don't have have all the words. I mean, there's just so much that goes into it, um you know, from being an assistant and loving every minute of it to you know, my wife and I having our young family, um, three of them now, eight, six, and four. Um, who, when I got out of coaching were two and a newborn at the time. And now we've got our daughter in there too, in the mix. And she's crazier than the two boys for sure. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the, the crazy backstories of just the, the impact of people in my life, um, you know, I lost my high school coach who was a dear friend and mentor, um, just a couple of years ago to brain cancer, mm, uh, wow. and that kind of you know, the calling to get back into coaching um, started. I and just by happen chance, you know, just over I guess two years ago, decided that last minute, like mid October, to take a varsity assistant job um, at a, a school here in Fort Wayne Heritage High School. Um, just last minute, and I told Lindsay, I'm like, you know, the longer I'm out of it, the harder it's going to be to justify getting back into it. The kids getting busier with their youth stuff um and then by thanksgiving time going into christmas break it was a no brainer that you know i was still working sports medicine but coaching was the fulfillment um and then you know you start to tie in the connection to blackhawk um and the community there which is it, until you're in it you know it's just so special um and and there's that connection there of having worked there for 3 years as an assistant Having Mark, who's a, a dear friend all the way through that whole, you know, process of being away, having my wife you know, at the time up until 2016 be the head volleyball coach there, leave after a state title to be a stay at home mom, um, mm-hmm. do all of that. It, that community was so close to us and I was already feeling led to, you know, potentially transition back there, you know, being a, a strong believer and loving Mark so dearly, the prayer was always for healing and then to be able to be back on his bench um, because it was a tremendous three years when I was there. I learned so much about how to coach, how to invest in youth and how to lift them up. Um, And so it was just a a long process of being called and led back to it. Um, And the, the hardest part of the whole process was doing, doing it, knowing I would much rather have it been as an assistant and him being healed. Um, But that wasn't the Lord's plan. Um, he had different plans in place and he used, you know, Mark until his final days, his final, his final message to the team is strength to be able just days before his death, to be able to introduce me Hmm. to the team. Wow. is a moment that is probably equally as powerful as any state championship would ever be um, because he was able to share his love for me and what I stand for, what I represent. um, And then also just tie in together how, confident he was in me that the kids were in great hands. Um, And that was before we ever even looked at X's and O's in basketball. So it was just an emotional, but uh, no doubt in my mind, um, you know, it was the easiest letter of resignation I've ever turned in. and I haven't turned in many but I would think it's probably the easiest one I would ever have to do because it was just it was a no-brainer that it was time to, to dive in and invest in the youth invest in kids um, and, and coaching basketball is just an extra
1: well coach Davidson was absolutely correct to have that faith and confidence in you clearly I do wonder there's, without question, the foundation of the program is, is the faith. Uh, you, you've talked a lot about that. Other members of the community have in the days leading up to and of the championship. But it's your program now, and you're a different person and a different coach. And I wonder, this being your first year, how much of it was was trying to continue Uh, what coach Davidson had established and turned into one of the premier basketball programs in the state. And how, how much did you like have to be like, yeah, but I got to do me and introduce new things, whether on or off the court with the team, how did you, clearly you struck the right balance, but how did you approach that?
3: Well, I think it was at first acknowledging that, that what they had been doing was working really well. Um, You know, they had two state titles um and in 2019 2021 and and honestly my biased opinion 2020 would have been a third consecutive um with caleb first and company that was a tremendous group um, and so acknowledging what they do works um, the system they have in place the way they work out the way they're in the weight room the way they they, they care for each other they live in the gym um, but they're also tremendous friends outside of that um, tremendous students as well so acknowledging that and And one of the beauties of having been with Mark for three years as an assistant was we saw the routines and practice that worked so well. Um, Mark was a basketball mind. He loved it. I mean, a tremendous player in his career. Um, And, you know, the the thing that he and I had in common was our upbringing in Illinois. Mm. Um, Both had state records in Illinois. His his was in rebounding. I think he averaged something crazy, like 18 and a half rebounds a game for four years. Oh, wow. Um, and then mine was obviously geared towards three point shooting and not rebounding. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we had that in common, but we also had this, this love for spending time with the kids, making it a priority. Um, you know, somebody asked me um, this weekend, like, is it a, is it a mandatory? The kids ride the bus home? Is it like, it's not mandatory, but, it's just what we do. Like they know we ride the bus home. Mark and I share a love for food. Um, And so the kids know, like, it's, it's a matter of we're going to go take care of business. We're going to go compete, play a game, um, do all the things that we do. But then, you know, the first question is where we're stopping on the way home. What are we doing? And, you know, in that sense, we got to play 30 games this year and we probably had half of those on the road. So there's, you know, 15, 16 team meals that are just, because that's what we do as a program. We spend time together. We invest. Um, sometimes it's a tremendous post game meal, and sometimes, you know, it's what the seniors want, and we're stopping at Mickey D's for the dollar menu. You know, it's it's what up was to them the, too, because they, this, they have ownership. So, what was the state championship team meal? So it's that. I, this is the beauty of it. When uh, when you're in a program that's had this great run of success, I'm able to lean on my athletic director Joel Cotton, who's a former IU guy as well, track. Track and field nice. down there, um, and uh, Joel's tremendous. Um, you know, we have a great background. He he actually coached at Anderson, and um, my first career game was against Anderson in an exhibition. Nice. Um, we figured that out in like mid January, which was funny in itself. Nice. But his his only memo to me was after we win, we go to Portillos in Noblesville.
2: <laughs> yes,
3: and darn near shut the restaurant down. All of our families, friends, t- uh, classmates are there, and. They had a feast there and and then headed back to Fort Wayne. So you've got to honor tradition when it's there
2: does does Portillos in Noblesville do the cake shake?
3: they they do in fact, and it was yes. good, especially after yes. that win. Yes, I bet
2: <laughs> so um, Ward asked about, you know, how much on the the basketball side was continuing what was happening in the tradition that 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 your good friend had had started. But I'm also curious, especially this year and when you took over back in May, how much of this season was also about emotionally coaching these kids, many of whom I'm sure were very close to coach before. And, and, you know, that's not something that, you know, you're not, no one's prepared for that. You know, you didn't go to school for psychology and, and, and as a coach, you often are a psychologist and a therapist and a father figure and a friend, but how much of, of that played in, which I can only imagine is just overwhelming for your first year as a head coach, but how much of it was that Matt?
3: Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of it Um, from, from the first week on the job, you know, the way, you know, the irony of how the schedule fell that was already built out um, you know, the, the morning of the, the visitation um, we had an open gym scheduled and the school was Mm. hosting um, through our church, the visitation program um, in our main gym. And it was it was recommended to me that we keep it on the schedule as optional, um, and just truly open the doors, um, let the kids come in. A lot of them picked up a ball and played, um, and the beauty of of our faith there and our basketball. Um, you know, many of the Davidsons were there. Um, mm. Boys were there. Mark's dad was there. Mark's brother was there, which brought me to tears because it's just what they do. It, it was a piece of, you know, you don't need a degree in psychology to know sometimes the best thing to do is just be in an area of comfort. Um, and we tried to keep that a priority as we moved into our summer, we were internal for about the majority of our summer, which is backwards. to most Indiana programs that are playing in shootouts and, and showcases and everything all over the state. Uh, we stayed internal. Um, mm-hmm. We took care of our guys. Um, there were days where, basketball was great and it was competitive and there were days where emotionally it was, it was okay to shut it down early. It was okay to, to bounce around a little bit and, and really lift up our guys. I thought it was incredible. Um, we talked at the beginning of the summer, what our theme, what our, what our scripture verse or what our focus is going to be on. And they came up with uh Galatians six, two, which talks about sharing each other's burdens. And we hmm. talked about, well, you know, we're in this case at a high school program, 14 to 18 year old, young men, um, who, uh, you know, again, don't need a psychology degree, but they don't handle tough situations and emotions well all the time, and they don't all handle them the same. And so, um, just trying to meet them where they were, love them well, um, and then to help each other carry each other's burdens when stuff gets tough, spend time together. Um, and that was the main focus of our summer. Um, and I thought that was great because that came from one of our juniors, came up with that verse. Um, within probably 30 seconds of talking about it. It it was on their heart, um, which I think just speaks volumes to our kids that they're that aware, but then also that invested in each other that, you know, we were able just to take the summer within, you know, as opposed to probably 99% of all high schools in Indiana, we started November 7th with maybe half of one play put into the system.
2: Wow! like it wasn't
3: what we just we just played basketball we we focused on each other making sure everybody was good um and we worried about putting in plays and and stuff like that but even at that like I laugh talking to my my assistants like we have three main offensive plays and and there's a bunch of options off of them but we don't we don't do a whole lot fancy we trust our guys we let them play um but I mean it was it was an emotional process and the hardest part of the year in my mind was it never got easier um, because you know, the season rolls around and you know, the guys are used to coming in in the mornings, getting up shots and coach Davidson popping in the gym and you know, the, the good morning fellows or what's up fellows or whatever um, you know, it was still there. It was me, but I'm not, you know, six, six, I'm not a strong man competition guy. I'm not the same. And so that, you know, that's different. And then you get to, you know, the night of the first game, and we're dedicating our court to to coach and his legacy, mm. what he stood for, um, and that's not easy to game plan for. Like, how are we going to emotionally get through this? Right. Um, and then you get into the season, and it's just still the wears and tears of just a different face at all times, but I've got a group of three senior captains that are tremendous, um, and one of them being Mark's um, youngest biological son, and they just... Mm. They were so invested in me. They trusted me from day one. Um, welcomed me with open arms and ears, um, and it would have never never happened without those three. You know, with Jimmy, Gage, and Josh, my three senior captains. Uh, and you, they really held us together. Well, Amazing. and
1: and you had a a, a history with Jimmy, obviously, um, and I'm sure you know you guys just really leaned on each other through this. I would say under normal circumstances your first head coaching job can be full of surprises and hardships um, and a huge learning curve. Can't imagine what it was for you, but as the, the, the dust starts to settle a little bit, or should we say the, uh, the ticker tape starts to settle a little bit. Is there, is there something throughout the course of the season you're like, okay, um, I don't know. I don't know. You, you win the state championship. So maybe you're like, well, ah, I got this figured out, but I wonder if there's something you're already thinking like, ah, I really want to work on this as a head coach in particular and, and improve upon and be better for the team next year.
3: Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know that I've got that far into the thought process. Um, I think, you know, the, the biggest area as a coach is making sure I've got the right people um, I had a tremendous staff this year. I was able to retain a lot of the same faces that had been there in the past. Um, but just making sure at the youth levels, um, you've got everybody lifted and built in the same way. Um, I think we've we've got a tremendous group there. But, you know, as, as year one fades, you know, I've got to make sure that they're there because they want to be there, not because they feel obligated to be there. Um, and as long as they want to be there, they're the right people for the job. Um, but you know, when you come in, it's the emotion of like, yeah, I've got you, like I'll do it, but you know, making sure you build up and have a great staff and which I did this year. Um, you know, we wouldn't have been there without, you know, my two varsity assistants who were both with Mark. One of them is a a young man I coached when I was there as an assistant. Um, and so, you know, those two, I need to make sure I get them the 10 year deal, um, (laughs) keep them with me for the long time and then, uh, had two veteran guys that, my JV and freshman levels. And, and I know one of them is, is probably going to move on. Um, you know, he's a grandpa gets to watch his grandson play. Now um, mm-hmm. he's earned that. Um, but then also making sure that we just, we have the right people in the right places, um, you know, and then, you know, the only other thing would be like, we can get that COVID year back for these guys, you know, those seniors, I would welcome back, but uh, I'm just, I'm just excited. I think we've got a great program. Um, we've had a great run over the last decade of of success uh, that goes well beyond wins and losses. Uh, we've got a great talented group coming up. Um, I'm really excited about my sophomore class. Um, and so more than anything, it's it's enjoy this one, slow down and, and let it sink in. You know, the coach's mind's always moving on to the next game, the next situation. Um, and, you know, the day after school, being able to stand around and talk to my guys as they did a couple extra interviews for for people who missed out over the weekend. Um, and just being able to to hear their stories and, and listen to how how much they enjoy the opportunity to this year um, and sit and enjoy rather than moving on to the next game or the next situation or or whatnot. I think just making sure we stay in the moment and keep the main thing, the main thing for our guys.
2: Well, speaking of moving on to the next moment, you're a full time employee of the school and teacher. So you had to come in today and teach. Are you a, a PE teacher?
3: I uh, yeah, so I teach PE and then uh, a couple classes of boys' health. So yeah, I started my morning today. Uh, it was fantastic. I had I actually got to take the state trophy around. I get to teach primary PE, so kindergarten and first graders. Oh, so nice. started my morning off with 150 so uh, screaming kindergarten first graders who were pumped to get a picture with the state trophy. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> and so it, it was fantastic um, to get. Do to start you think the day though?
2: do you think it'll help you in keeping discipline in the classroom now that if a kid goes, you know, gets a little mouthy, you can be like, Hey, I'm a state champion head coach. You got to listen a little bit better to me now. Like, do, do you feel like you have more gravitas now than you did on Friday?
3: Well, I don't know about that. I I walked (laughs) into my freshman class today and it was like walking into the media room after a a big 10 loss. They were, (laughs) what was your what was your talk at halftime what was your what was your strategy going into this what'd you think of this and and they grilled me for about 15 minutes which was fantastic because it shows how much uh of an investment they had in what was going on but uh I not don't, I don't know about the authority in the classroom I think uh I think there's a steady diet of that but there's also uh a great relationship to be built with the kids and um and so i i'm loving
2: it. That's such
1: amazing that's such
2: an amazing thing that you got to show those kids the state trophy i love that i mean that is amazing
1: but let's you you did make a crucial adjustment uh if if i'm not mistaken uh on joey hart in the second half that really worked out for you can you can you talk about what that was and and why you decided to do that how you came to that decision
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, that was, we've got a really talented team Um, uh, defensively. I think everybody looked at our offensive numbers and lost track of how talented some of our guys were. I got, I've got two guys, Gage Sefton and Kellen Pickett who are phenomenal perimeter defenders. Gage is a senior going off to Grace college where he's going to have a great career. And Kellen's a fantastic six, eight sophomore with tremendous potential, but they're great wing defenders. Um, And so we at halftime, we needed to switch some things up. It wasn't it wasn't working for us. We were doing a great job of guarding them. They were making great shots. Joey Hart's a great player. Um, and uh, Logan Webb, their second guy, is a, a phenomenal player who I think somebody's going to pick up here at the, the D2, D3, and AIA level. He's going to be a good player. But we got to halftime. We needed to switch those two um, just to get some more size on Joey. He's got a really high release, a beautiful shot. Um, and so Kellen at six eight with a wingspan that goes on for days uh, mm. does a great job on the perimeter. There are two that we switch on and off most nights of the best guy, um, and then Gage's athleticism and quickness really bothered uh, the Web kid um, a lot more in the second half, caused a lot of problems for them. And then the other switch was uh, putting Jimmy Davidson on their best screener um, and mm. switching switching our other two wings, um, which. Seems kind of secondary when you're talking about, you know, know your danger um, that that Hart and Webb score all the points. But having Jimmy, who's our best help defender, be in a position where he could always be a helper, um, really help clog up anything off the dribble. Um, and then Kellen's length and engages athleticism on those two caused a lot of problems in the second half. Um, and it allowed us to, to really take advantage on the boards and then get out in transition, which is where we love to play and share the ball. So. Uh, somebody told me that after the game, what an amazing big adjustment. But in my mind, it was just a, a switch and open gym, basically of, Hey, we got <laughs> up here. This dude's, this dude's killing us a little bit. And uh, and they're so competitive. They took it right in stride. And uh, again, if it's the best thing for the team, these guys don't second guess anything. And so they went out and executed and, and it was fun hearing them today say they could tell within the first couple of minutes that it was swinging our way. It was just a matter of time. And, and for a, 16 to 18 year old to make that adjustment and that feeling on the court just shows that they've got a tremendous maturity about who they are.
2: So, Matt, you're an important um, and now uh, visible figure uh, from the IU basketball alum uh, community. Uh, you have a lot of teammates that still reside in Indiana, and, and those that pay attention to what's going on. Did you hear from former teammates? Any text messages? Who reached out to you? We just we love hearing about you guys staying in touch with each other. Who'd you hear from?
3: Oh, I mean, I I don't even know that I could start that list. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it's been incredible too. I mean, high school basketball in Indiana um, is so beloved by our, our Hoosier alums um, that you know all the way from our sectional win um to lock up that sectional championship you know each round it just continued to grow um continue to be more and more guys reaching out um you know the impact of of our story was unique but then also um you know us hoosiers being proud of each other yes. um, and what we achieve um and so i i couldn't even start that list but i mean it was it was just one ding after another on the phone of of uh, support congratulations and and you know, it's just a special place. Um, and I'm sure uh I'm sure one that that when we get together here, hopefully this spring, early summer as a as a program, we we get to hear even more about. Um and so it, it was tremendous. It was great to see um some familiar faces at the state finals too, just guys who grew up in the state who love Indiana basketball and uh to see them in the crowd or off at a distance, um, or even just know they were there. Um incredible. I was
2: I talked to, uh, we've become good friends with Michael Lewis, who is now the head coach at, at Ball State, and he told me that that he and you have met maybe a couple times, not not long meetings, but he said to me today, I mean, this is how much basketball means in the state of Indiana. Michael obviously grew up in Jasper, you know, oh, played for them, and, and I said to him today, I said, we're having Matt Roth on, and he goes, state champion Matt Roth, and I said, that's right, <laughs> and he said, and he got like and Michael's a pretty no-nonsense guy. He likes to bust balls. But Michael uh-huh. says, he says to me, I gave him a fist bump before the game. I saw him, gave him a little fist bump. And <laughs> he, he was, that. like, proud. He was proud. He Because that's what Hoosiers do. We're proud when yes. other Hoosier alums, and especially you guys, you share, you're part of a fraternity that is so important and special in both being Hoosiers, basketball players. He was so proud to be able to just say, yeah, I gave him a fist bump right before the game.
3: Yeah, it was it was great. It was just one of those ironic. Um, he was getting ready to go on the the broadcast there for just a brief second, right behind our bench, and I happened to turn around and he was right there. So it was, you know, it was it was great to see him. You know, and you mentioned just being proud of each other and you know, proud of you know, followed his career, followed so many of our uh, former players, managers who were at at that college level or, or high school level coaching. And um, it's no easy sacrifice to be a coach, and and so it was great to see him um and and, you know see what he's been able to do here in his first year at ball state and uh I think it's always great when we get Hoosiers back in the state um and so um it was great to see him you know hopefully uh you know we can get together here and and maybe get on the golf course with a bunch there you
1: go and there you know
3: true colors will come out I'm sure he'll bust bust my chops a couple times about some stuff that I maybe should have done differently of course Um, (laughs) and I'll be all ears because he's got he's got some years
1: on me and so um any insight he's got good good insight for me i have to ask what there's got to be some sort of incentive or some sort of ongoing uh game or challenge with the players on your team to see if one of them can beat you in a three-point shooting contest (laughs) right if so what is it what are the rules what are the rewards how's that go
3: well i mean i think you know i've got some competitive kids i've got some confident kids um And, you know, they just kind of, uh, they, a couple of them have wanted, (laughs) wanted to do stuff. And I always just tell them, Hey, not till after the season, you know, I got to have you confident right now. I can't, (laughs) I can't come out and, you know, I can't come out and really, and really shoot it because I need you out there making shots for me. Um, Great, And I think it helps, you know, I've got Joey Moreland's one of my assistants. Joey played for Mark uh, when I was an assistant there. Um, and then I also trained um, Joey from a basketball standpoint when he went off to college and everything. And Joey was a great shooter, tremendous high school player. Um, and he'll tell the guys, you know, we worked together for like six or seven years and I could count the number of times I beat Matt something on like one hand. Um, and, and so he keeps them in check of, Hey, you gotta, you gotta beat me before you can even get it on coaches. Yeah. Coaches level. Um, but I, I think at the same time it's fun to see them get competitive. Um, you know, most of them—it's make me sound old, and I'm really not that old yet. But a lot of them hardly remember me as a player. If they do, it's right. because their their dad still tells them stories about me. <laughs> uh, and so um, it's fun. Uh, to that point, you know, I we there are some times. You know, small school in Indiana, we don't we share a lot of athletes. So in the fall, we don't have our normal crew in there all the time. So I had to jump in and play some pickup and. Jimmy Davidson, who had seen me when he was probably in fifth or sixth grade as a much younger assistant out there playing, um, was real quick to pick me first. (laughs) So I assured him, as long as I don't have to play defense, we'll be in good shape. (laughs) So,
2: Matt, you are in a unique position now because you're a head coach of a very successful high school program that has produced. Division one talent. I mean, obviously, you mentioned Caleb first, who went to the enemy. We won't talk about that. But um, look, you mentioned, you know, your, your players that that may get some attention here. Specifically, your 2025 sophomore right now, who who's going to get a lot of attention. Um, I'm just curious about your relationship with the IU staff. Do you um, do you have a relationship with Woody? Did he reach out to you after the championship? And how do you balance? you know, wanting every kid to go to Indiana because that's where they should go, but also having to do that thing where you, you really are focused on what's best for the kid. I realize yeah. that part. How do you how do you do those things?
3: Yeah, um, I mean, I've got a great relationship with their staff, um, you know, whether it be just from, you know, being down there with Coach Walsh, um, playing golf with Coach Walsh and Coach Elston, uh, my good friend oh. Derek, when he was on staff. Um, and so there, there's a lot of great people there. Um, and there always is at Indiana, um, and, and so many of these other schools too, but of course we love our Hoosiers. Yes. Um, yes, yes. And so there, there's a great relationship there. Um, you know, I, I've got to meet coach Woodson a couple of times. Um, one of them being at the pigs, I believe it was pigs golf outing last spring. Sure. Where somehow, some way I must've signed up first for alumni. They put me in front of him on tee box number one. And he was insistent on watching me hit my drive before he hit his, which was a little bit of pressure. I haven't been under in several years, but I did hit the fairway that day. Um, I think it was even the correct fairway. Nice. (laughs) And so, um, you know, there's there's always a love there. And and certainly uh, when you're at a program like Blackhawk and you've got so many great young men that come in and play, um, you know, you've got your bias and you want them to go, but you also love these kids um so much that you want them to find the best fit for them um and so um you know it's, it's amazing about- how
2: the best fit is indiana it's a funny how that works out that every way. time it's really crazy every, every, time. Time, every
1: that, time
3: i mean that's that's the way it worked for me um, yeah it's, exactly. it's led to, to many great things but uh you know we've got it we've got a tremendous bunch um you know i've got two seniors going on to play uh one at grace college at the nai level who's national contender um caleb's younger brothers um going over there to the old black and gold as a walk-on um which is a tremendous opportunity for him and a great story for their family um and then i got i still got my work cut out jimmy wants to walk on um potentially you know at the division one level or um you know we're working on and we've got several kids that are off at the manager level at the division one level so got to continue to work and find something for him because he's he's an outstanding young man and he's gonna be a great coach that's what he wants to do and he's he's dead set on it and um if there's one thing I've learned about the Davidsons you know when they set their mind to it they achieve it and so um I'm excited to see what happens for him and then um you mentioned Kellen he's a tremendous talent um you know at at 6'8 as a sophomore um he was kind of blessed in a sense from a basketball standpoint this year of being able to kind of hide under the radar at times because he had, he had two seniors that were right at 18 and a half points a game that were kind of the leaders of what we do. Um, so Kellen was able to be kind of that third guy, um, a consistent 14 and a half shot. I think 56% from three. Wow. 6% from two. Whoa. Uh, and we got to work on his free throws a little bit. He had a rough year at the free throw line, but he's a, he's a good free throw shooter. But, um, um, he's, he's off the great things. He's got an opportunity to play with, with Indy heat on the EYBL, which put him on a great platform um, to use his abilities. Um, and he was really key in our run. I mean, he, he guarded most nights down the stretch in the postseason. the best guy, um, wow. his length, his athleticism, his shot blocking abilities, um, for him to have a sophomore year, like he did and cap it off with a great defensive and offensive performance. Um, in the state finals, I think is positioning him well for a big spring, big summer. And I, I told him today, I think the recruiting is going to just uh, skyrocket here over the next, you know, two days to two months. Um, I think sure. it's going to be a really fun time for him. And I'm excited to um, get to walk alongside and help him as he navigates that, you know, what to look Very for, to cool, ask and all those very
1: movements. cool. I, I like the as you were describing his game and his development. I just kept hearing the IU fight song in my head. I just kept <laughs> wanting to burst into song. <laughs> the second you said when you
2: were talking about his shooting percentage, and it started with a fifth when we heard fifth syllable, we were just like, We're in, we're in. <laughs> so, um, Matt, uh, we'll let you go here soon. We're already gone over what we said we would do, but we love talking to you and so happy for you. Um, did this year with all the emotional um, charge that it had and then the way it ended, did it solidify for you that you are a coach and this is your life from here for the foreseeable future and that this is just what you were put on earth to do?
3: Yeah, I think uh, I've known for a long time with working in sports medicine, being an assistant, um, that there was a calling to work with the youth Um, I didn't know necessarily what that avenue was maybe at that time. Um, but I think over the last probably year and a half, um, it's really solidified to me. Um, coaching is definitely that. Um, and then, I mean, beyond the coaching, the, the enjoyment that I get day in and day out of getting to work with, you know, I mentioned my littles, my kindergarten, first graders, my son being one of those kids, um, my daughter being one of them soon, um, which I'm sure she won't listen any better there than she does at home. Um, Uh, there's just a, uh, a just overwhelming joy um, in my heart for being able to work with the youth to see them develop. Um, and so I'm very much looking forward to, you know, not only the next year, but then as uh, as we get down the road a year or two after that, you start talking about, you know, my oldest being one of our, you know, soon to be third grader. But in a couple of years, you know, you start talking about our fifth grade program, our sixth grade and our, our youth feeder program. Um, and he's going to be right in that mix. I, I just can't think of a better, That's a awesome. better place for me to be than to be on the sideline and in the classroom.
1: Are, are awesome. you already, already working on his shot mechanics?
3: Uh, not, not a whole lot. He's, he is, it, both my boys are they're whatever sport they're in, they're all in, uh, they're meticulous. They pay attention. Mm. Uh, he could tell you every statistical thing you want to know about the NCAA tournament this year. Wow. Um, I, I don't uh, want to know any so, of the
1: statistics from this year's tournament. <laughs> and
3: so he just, he picks up on everything. He picks up on my high school guys. Who's playing well, who's not playing well. What do we do mm. with substitution? He just, it, it's so natural. I just want the game, whether it be basketball, baseball, football, whatever it be, I just want it to become natural to him. His love and his passion for it's there. Um, he and and my two, Hudson and and my two boys, and I, I, it's not something I'll force upon them. Um, they both they both have a knack for scoring the ball though when they're in their youth basketball league. So um, I, I laugh and smile, but they my wife will remind me the boys have already passed more than I did in my career. So <laughs> <laughs> so they're they're tremendous, and I think they're going to be fantastic in in whatever they do. Uh, Well, Matt,
2: not to put you on the spot, but, you know, we put on this weekend of Hoosier fantasy experiences in August. We're doing it again this year, a fan fest, a fantasy camp, and a golf outing with IU basketball alumni. Consider this the formal invitation. We would love to have a state champion coach and IU basketball alumni join us. We'd love to have you there. I know fans would love to see you around Assembly Hall shooting up some shots and also uh, out on the golf course, the foul course, August 17th to the 20th. If you can make it,
3: we'd love to have you. I will, I will do my best. I know the only thing I know that's on my radar, that's that far out and there's not many things is my sister's wedding is in August, but I don't know. I, I shouldn't say that. Hopefully she's not listening. I don't know the date off the top of my head, but I know <laughs> it's on my calendar. Um, All right, well, I'll
2: follow up with you on text on that because I but yeah, that... follow
3: up with me and I would love to uh, be able to come down and bring my family down and, and be a part of that wonderful event. Um, you know, I followed it online last year, what you guys were doing and uh, certainly love both of you guys and what you represent and what you bring oh, to the thanks. Hoosier nation. So um would be happy to be a part as long as uh, as long as I can make it work. Yeah, we
1: could, as long as you don't offend your sister. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Look, we could not be happier for you and the whole Blackhawk community, and we couldn't be prouder of you, man. So so uh, good for you on spreading the, the good word statewide. Uh, IU basketball is alive and well at all levels. And um, you know, good luck with the off season, and yeah, sleep in a little bit when you get the chance. I know the school <laughs> year's still going, so you might have to wait for summer for that. Um, but you've earned it, man, and we're all just so proud of you.
3: Thank you, guys. I appreciate it.
2: And one final question: If you are picking, because I'm obsessed with food, also, if you are picking. You're, you get to choose any meal at any restaurant for for any win. It's all you. What is the perfect meal at the perfect place for Matt Roth?
3: Oh, that's that's loaded. Uh, <laughs> well, I could think of about three different restaurants down in Bloomington that it's been a minute since I've been in. So name uh, one. Let's hear I, it. I, you know, if I had to pick one, well, I'm going to have to pick two. I'm going to okay. have to go with the little Zagrebs there. I could go for a good steak. Mm. and then my good my good friend ed over at buffaloes i could go for a slew of wings and uh, yes some fries and and a good night
2: there you go man that is the correct answer uh matt uh, warden said it all we love you we're proud of you good luck uh next season and have a great off season and relish this championship it's more it's more than just a basketball championship for the community that you represent and that you're a big part of and uh, it just filled us with, with joy and pride reading about it and following it.
3: Well, I appreciate it, guys. I appreciate you guys. And uh, anytime a good time to be on the air with you guys. So I appreciate you having me. <laughs> that was a guest. That was a guest.
2: How do you not love Matt Roth?
1: Right? I, like, you know, the the goosebumps are in full effect right now. Just like, oh, taking that moment of, of the conversation we just had the guy who he is and the community is a part of Indiana high school basketball is special any day of the week, any year. Uh, but for that community, that man, the people, uh, around him, it is, it is, as you said, it's so much more than a game and so much bigger than that. And it's, it's beautiful to see, uh, a story that that you know really born out of tragedy have such a beautiful ending.
2: Yeah, I just kept thinking about the you know his youngest son on that team and, oh. and how um heartbreaking and confusing it, it must have been. You know, because obviously the kid loves basketball and wants to play, but that's supposed to be your dad on the sidelines, yeah. and that's not Matt's fault, and Matt. God bless him is they couldn't have picked a better person that would show the respect and the deference to that process. And yet still have his eye on, we all know, we also want to win. We want to accomplish something together. There is no better tribute than that to this man that meant so much to this community. It's, it's a remarkable story. And we've been lucky enough to have Matt on the show before And you can just tell the guy is just filled with goodness. I mean, he is just pure good. And, you know, his faith is very important to him, but he doesn't like hitch over the head with it. It's important to that community, obviously, and important to that school. And it's all just real. It's just he is an authentically good human being. And that community is lucky to have him. And he's lucky to have that community. Well,
1: and. You know when we talk about it in regards to i u as well and and the the story the situation I think is is innumerable around the state of Indiana of what what makes Indiana basketball so special, okay, a hundred plus years ago, a bunch of communities just like it really took off and it became such a big part of the state's identity. Yes, it's a great game and they really took to it and there were some great coaches down in Bloomington over the decades who like reinforced that and brought that along and and at other colleges that we won't admit to. But what what it brings back to me in a conversation like that is the Friday nights in Peru, Indiana going to the Tiger Arena, whether it's the old one uh, or the new one that was there once when I was in high school, that's, that's where you felt the community. Yes, there were churches. People would go to the different churches. There were some other events, but nothing was more important than for a good chunk of the town to pack in on a Friday night and scream for our friends, for our sons, you know, for our, our nephews. And um, I'm just so glad. And, and like, okay, full disclosure, we talked to Rabbi who we're going to talk to in a minute, I said his name, um, before we talked to Matt, and and also talking to him about his experience uh, at the state finals, is I was worried when state, the, it went to class basketball, that, that that specialness might be lost, but is clearly alive and well in the state of Indiana. And that means a lot to me.
2: Yeah. No, I look, I didn't grow up with that. You know, I grew up obsessed with basketball and so every basketball game for me was a big deal, but I remember when I, you know, I think I've told this before on the podcast too, when I was a senior at Indiana and I was dating Mandy who was a year ahead of me. So she had already graduated and she was teaching at Indian Creek high school in Trafalgar, Indiana. And they had a gym that was a pit, you know, you walked in and you walked down in from the, from the uh the stands into the pit of the gym and it was packed on friday nights and i went to a few of those games i'd leave bloomington and drive to trafalgar and i loved it like couldn't find a parking spot Mm -hmm. you know i just loved it and sat in that pit and watched coach carmody was his name i think and he had a i think he had a son who was his star and i loved it it was uh you know, you grow up obsessed with basketball and you see something like that. It is, that's everything it's Hoosiers. It's Mar. you know, it's Angelo pizza. It's, it is what it is. And, and I love that Matt is a, a big part of it. And then as being selfish, I mean, you can't find a better advocate for Indiana university than Matt Roth. And he's got real talent coming through there. So I hope our staff continues to play golf with him and invite yeah. him down and befriend him because that can only help you. Um, so love it. Congrats to Matt really happy for that whole community and especially the, the former coach's family, uh, amazing, amazing story. Uh, all right. Well, what do you say we get into some real IU basketball talk?
1: And to do that, Ward, you need to tell everybody that we are brought to you back. IU Ventures presents a segment without pretense. Who's your hoop live just for you. <laughs>
2: and fade out iuventures.com iuventures.com the only organization that is part of indiana university that is actually writing checks funding and financing indiana created or indiana run businesses intellectual property i mean everything from vegan ice cream to a clothing line to help elderly people to rare disease treatments and breakthroughs in treatment. That's what IU Ventures is funding and financing. You can be a part of it by being an angel investor and actually putting your own money into these very forward thinking companies that are on the cutting edge. And hopefully will return you a a nice ROI for your own bank account, but it is iuventures.com go there, sign up for the newsletter. It's free I get the news, the emails all the time, and I love them. I love reading about the new businesses that are coming on, and I'll see companies that I recognize because I've seen them on Twitter or something. Like they did something with Homefield Apparel. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're doing something with Alan Henderson. Like he's he's speaking at something or or spoken something. Well, it just, it's just it's such a great community.
1: And if you've got the next Homefield Apparel or the next vegan ice cream, and you're uh, affiliated with IU get in there. See if you can find some fellow Hoosiers to back you on something. And uh, if nothing else, like what you and I have done to this point of just keeping an eye on all these people and all these various ventures, it's a source of pride. Just like, you know, learning about what Matt has done uh, with his basketball program. Every time you see a Hoosier out there doing something that is successful for them in their career, but As you brought up, as you were going down the line, there is a a litany of of businesses that aren't just out to make a buck, but are honestly being put out into the world to make it a better place.
2: Yes. Have you ever uh, thought of starting
1: a business or building an app, let's say? Uh, Yeah, UFO finder app. Yes. If like you see something in the sky, is that a UFO or is that like Starlink satellite? That
2: is that is a legitimate thought that has crossed your mind before,
1: that you should have that? No, but other people have, so I just took it from them.
2: I had an app idea very early on in the app
1: world. What was it?
2: I even designed it on, like, a PowerPoint, like okay. a wireframe. It was called Get Me the F Out of Here. <laughs> and the way it would work is you'd be going into, like, a meeting, or a party that you know you don't want to be at, or a social function, and you would quickly go on your phone, you'd load up the app, and you it would say, when do you want to get the F out of here? And you would say, <laughs> seven minutes. And then it would say, who do you want to help get you the F out of here? And from your context, you just select a name, okay? And okay. then you hit start. You walk in, and then at seven minutes, your phone rings and it bypasses the silence. So it rings loud and, and it rings loud. And up comes what looks like a phone call from, Oh, it's my mom. Uh, I got to <laughs> take this. She, she
1: had surgery real quick. I got to go take
2: this.
1: And that gets you the F out of it. I needed that yesterday when I went to Ikea.
2: Oh boy. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. So, um, yeah, that was my idea. It never happened. But hey, you know maybe if, now's the time, buddy. IUventures.com. I'm gonna come calling. <laughs> uh really fun um conversation with Matt. And now let's get into a fun conversation with our next
1: guest, who you already ruined. Sorry about that. Here comes our guest. Here comes a guest ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you know, I mean, we could be not in a great mood right now that the final four is going on and we're not involved, but thankfully this man is here. And whenever this man is here, I can't help it. I'm just happy and in a good mood. Eric, who is this man? He is from the DMV.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Not exactly the same talent that comes out of the DMV that we're used to talking about, a different talent that comes out of the DMV. He is a journalist extraordinaire. He has spent his life working in sports journalism. He's covered the Pacers, the Colts, the Hoosiers, and he is now the publisher of pegs.com. Please welcome, he's back, DJ Jazzy Jeff Rabjohn.
1: Yeah, buddy. How we doing, boys? How we doing today? Oh, Better now that you're here.
0: Oh, you're too kind. You're too kind. You know, Rabbi, we got a lot
2: of consternation after our uh, last podcast episode. It was right on the heels of Indiana losing to Miami. And, and then, of course, it was also on the heels of Indiana losing to Miami oh, <laughs> on both sides.
1: Broken record. So
2: our emotions were running hot. Uh, we were depressed. Brian Evans came on who is not the guy you want to help get you out of a depression. And uh, we, we, you know, I think a lot of people appreciated how uh, raw we were, but there were some people that also were like, dear Lord, I need some ray of hope. So we thought, well, when you want a ray of hope, you go to Jeff Rap Jones. (laughs) So we're in a little bit of a better mood and I do want to focus a lot of this episode on the things that are positive for Indiana, especially. You know, we're going to focus on men's basketball here.
1: It's going to and, be a short episode.
2: And, oh, stop!
0: See, <laughs> stop!
2: Let let the record show that, that was Ward yeah. Ernest Roberts. <laughs> let the record show that that was not Eric Pankowski. No, there are things to. I look forward to when it comes to Indiana basketball, and I want to hit on those. But let's get right into what is on top of everyone's mind right now, which is a potential source of great optimism for Indiana, which is the transfer portal. Um, So, Rabbi, before we get into the specifics on who we're targeting and, and some of the stuff you've already reported, let's just talk about this. The game of college basketball and recruiting has changed seismically over the last few years, in large part because of the transfer portal and the NIL. Can -hmm. you talk a little bit about what you're just seeing and the conversations you're having with coaches as far as how they are viewing recruiting as a whole now and how the transfer portal fits into that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen now that the transfer portal is a real thing and you can go get older guys pretty much every year you're seeing more programs look at it as another complete recruiting cycle you Mm. used to have essentially high school players juco players and transfers weren't even really a full cycle because they had to sit out you know back in the day so you might get a transfer but he'd have to sit for a year so you would be talking about two years down the road and really if you added one transfer it, okay you might add one very few people were adding multiple transfers cuz it had no impact for the very next season now you see impact transfers at a number of programs um you know obviously Miami which just beat Indiana as you referenced is now in the final four transfers have impacted them uh you know starting point guard very important position nigel pack a guy they got out of out of kansas state
1: where so was he where was he before that rabbi
0: uh, before that, Nigel Pack was at uh, Lawrence Central High School in Indianapolis, Indiana, oh, right man. down the road from me. Cool, cool, uh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, we're seeing more P- more programs look at look at the transfer portal as an actual recruiting cycle. Okay, what are we going to do in the portal? How many are we going to go after? How many are we get? And it's not everybody. No, Some programs really don't go too deep in the portal. Purdue really hasn't. Um, Wisconsin really hasn't. There's some others who haven't. But we're seeing more programs look at the portal as a full recruiting cycle and a place where with regularity they can go get talent. So that's, what's happening with the portal. And programs also realize that they're probably going to lose a guy or two to the portal, not every year, but losing a guy or two is is not going to be some big, you know, seismic shock to most college basketball programs. Um, so we're seeing programs, you know, pay attention to who might portal. I mean, I, I was getting calls back as early as, you know, November mm-hmm. from, you know, people just associated with people who said, hey, you know, this might happen, that might happen. Keep an eye on this guy, whatever. So it 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 really is a place where programs can add talent, add older talent, you know, with regularity. You look at I remember it was Jeff Goodman. Somebody tweeted out like the average age of the final of the uh, elite eight teams and the average age of a number of teams was more than 21 years old the average age i wow. think a couple were 22 point something average age cuz these teams have guys 23 24 years old
1: the stat was they're... 35 out of the 40 starters in the elite 8 were either transfers or seniors right yeah
2: you know yeah. what real real quick on that stat i wanted to know that stat is mind boggling i think it was 19 of the 40 transfer or 19 of the 40 starters were transfers and then 16 were seniors, which is mind-boggling. I mean, it's half of the starters are transfers, but I didn't know, and Ward, I don't know if you or Rabbi saw, was it saying, could, could some of the seniors have been transfers? Like, was it, you know what I'm saying? I wasn't sure if those were two separate numbers that added up to the 40, or if some of those seniors were also transfers. Either way, even if it was, even if it was, it's over half of the starters of the elite eight are either seniors or transfers Um, legitimately. That's crazy. So Rabbi, my question to you is, are there coaches out there? And I'm not asking specifically about Indiana, but we can talk about Indiana, but are there coaches out there who are like, as you wait the different cycles that you talked about, there's the freshman cycle. There was the Juco, which seems to have moved down the priority list. And now there's the transfer portal. Has the transfer portal replaced the freshman recruiting as far
0: as priority for some major programs? For some, it absolutely has. Yeah. For some, they look at it like, okay, we're going to go get some high school kids, and if they develop, great. If they don't, we'll replace them in the portal. And that's sort of – you know, some people have a problem with that. They're like, well, that's kind of predatory. Well, maybe. I mean – it's a little cutthroat but that's just the way it is you know a lot of these coaches are like we have to win job one is win so we're going to do whatever we have to do from a roster construction standpoint to go get the talent we need to win now there are other programs that look at it like hey you can bring in transfers they might be good but if the pieces don't fit you're probably not going to do anything so we would rather get the right kind of high school guys develop them and then we're older following more of the natural path. You know, um, it's really hard to win. It's hard to win being freshman dependent. You know, only two programs have done it in modern times. Kentucky, Duke, varying levels of success. But generally speaking, the last 10 years, they've been very successful programs. Um, and they've been freshman dependent. But outside of two programs, nobody else has really been freshman dependent and had any level of sustained success. But when you go to the portal, it's like you can have success, like Miami had success. Uh, certainly Alabama had some success.
1: But, Kansas you know, state, you
0: know, Kansas state's had, had terrific success. So there are times when it, when it works, there are times when it doesn't, you know, like, like to stay in the big 10, Illinois is an example. Yes. You know, uh, they got three really good players. Um, you, you got, you got a guy, you know, in Terrence, who, who's a guard creator. You got a six, nine shooter in Matthew Meyer, and you got a very helpful post player in Dane danger. You got your leading scorer, your second leading scorer, your fourth leading scorer, your leading, scorer, your leading rebounder. Obviously, Dane Danger was fourth-leading scorer and leading rebounder. We've got three very impactful pieces. I think their their transfer class, which we now rank transfer classes. How crazy is that? But it's part of the deal. They, they were like top five in the country. What, what did those guys do? They never competed for a Big Ten title. They, they spent most of the years in unranked program. They didn't even win a single NCAA tournament game. You know, So it's like, what, what, what did they really do? Well, it helped keep the program afloat. You know, they didn't miss the NCAA tournament. But the idea that Portal is going to be an automatic influx of pieces who fit is part of where the where the where where some of the questions that the coaches have. Are the pieces going to fit? Yes, we're going to get talent. But is it going to fit? Is it going to work? Whereas if you go the high school route, you just have more control over your roster as far as what kind of pieces you're getting. And they're in your program. You know, um, some, some coaches have said, and it's a pretty common thing, They talk about their seniors, and they're like, I I could miss practice, and my seniors could run the practice. They know what we're doing. They know how we prepare. So that's certainly a benefit moving forward. But there's no question, as of right now, the portal is viewed as a very important piece of roster
1: constructions for a lot of programs. And – within that how important are you hearing like nil is because we we see the big flashy cases of of miami and how crucial that was to them now being in the final four um (laughs) but i don't know much about how kansas state put it together and you know just as far as like is a lot of that like hey you did well over here as an individual um, we've got minutes for you over here at maybe a more high-profile program. Is that still the coin of the realm or is the coin of the realm literally the coin of the realm?
2: Well, also, could you please use the phrase coin of the realm in your answer?
1: Twice. <laughs> <I like that. laughs> Actually, like that. you used it three times, Ward. Well, three. I didn't want him to top me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think right now... Um, I think NIL is at least top two in almost every transfer decision. Mm. It's number one in some transfer decisions because there are some situations kids look at and go, I got three, four, five good options. Okay. Yes. Yes. All places I'd be willing to play, all coaches I'd be willing to play for, all places where I can go get minutes. So what's the NIL deal going to be? And it's almost like, a kid graduating from college, he gets five job offers. Which job pays the most is part of the decision on which job you take. It's human nature. It's normal. It's, <laughs> as Danny DeVito said in, famously in that one movie, it's money. And we all need money because everything you want takes money. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, it would be incredibly silly to pretend that NIL is not a driving force. I mean, I had a person, a soci- how can I say this? I had a person associated with a player. Um, How's that for an innocuous phrase? That's good. Uh, Basically, you just
2: said that you have a human. That's as broad as you went just
0: now. That's that's as narrow as I'm going to go, too. Um, (laughs) A person associated with a player called me and said, yeah, you know, my guy's going to, I'm going to portal him. Uh, By the way, the the portal area is now to the point, we're making up words. Portal is now a verb. No. <laughs> it's like, it's like, Eric, you'd be like, you calling me and saying, yeah, we're, Ward's going to portal. Oh, okay. We're making up
1: words here. But that, this that, that gone. would have something to do with UFOs. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. And here's the truth. Ward and I would, would both go podcast portaling. No
1: one wants us. No one would take us.
2: There's no NIL money. We can't even pay
0: people to take us.
1: There so, are no minutes available for either of us anywhere. <laughs> we're
0: stuck so this guy calls me and he says you know my guy's gonna portal and okay you know what what all are you looking for and he starts off by saying what the minimum nil deal is that's where the conversation started mm. and yeah you know the kid wants to play yeah he needs minutes yeah he, needs, he wants a certain style but the conversation started with nil and that's where i think we're at we're at we're at a point where if NIL isn't at least at a certain floor, you are not part of the conversation that that's where, that's where this is right now. And I mean, that's just the reality of it, you know? Yeah. Um,
2: so Robbie, um, I want to go on the flip side of that though, for a second, because obviously <laughs> Ward and I are pretty heavily involved in NIL stuff. Um, I do agree with you. That it is, a, it can be a driving force in some, in many recruitments. But I also think it works the other way too, where what you just said, there's a number that the, the 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 player, the family, the handlers, the agents, all those people have to be comfortable with that they're going to get, and then they look at, okay, well, there's three or four places where we know we're going to get that. Like that was the cost to get in the game. Right. Mm -hmm. That was, what are you, what is it? Table stakes? Is that what it's called in poker? Yeah. Uh, So, so, (laughs) and they're pretty high for many of these guys, but those are the table stakes. And okay. There's only about, you You know, you look at the, the circles here are the people that I'm interested in and the schools that I'm interested in here are the schools that have the NIL money that I want to have as my minimum. Where do those two overlap? Okay, that narrows it down to only about three places. At that point, I think that people get a misconception. It's certainly not how it works for us because we do play within the rules. It does not go to some kind of auction game. You know, there are outliers. The Ruiz guy made a crazy deal for Nigel Pack, and that got Nigel Pack to go to Miami, no doubt about it. But. But it does not go to, you know, Sotheby's and it's now an auction (laughs) where somebody's like, Indiana, how much do you want to give Uh, Kansas? How much? That's not what happens at that point when the player is comfortable and their team is comfortable that they're going to have the NIL that they want. Then it really does come down to who can win the recruitment. Then it does come down to relationships and how hard you're working and playing style and that kind of stuff. Are you getting that same sense?
0: No, absolutely. And that, that's exactly right. That, that's a really good lay of the land that, you know, NIL is your, your entrance fee and, you know, you pay your entrance fee, but that only gets you in the game. And then you have to convince the player, his parents, his his agent, his, his trainer, his handler, whatever, that you're the right coach for him, that you're the right coaching staff for him, that you're the right program, the right place, the right playing style, all of that so the traditional factors do still matter it's just there's now a pretty clear entrance fee to the game right before there were things that happened uh, that's just call them under the table okay but everybody knew they happened it was it was not a secret but now you know there's just you know here's here's what it costs to get in the game now once you're in the game you figure out who else is in that game that recruitment for that player and you've got to figure out what's most important to that player and to his people, his circle. And you've got to convince th- them that you and your staff are the right place for him and have the most, the, the most beneficial things for him. So th- those those
1: things all still matter. Absolutely. Well, we, it's been mentioned, Eric mentioned it. And I, I do want to get into style of play. Um, not only in the importance of recruiting guys out of the portal, but, we're looking at okay, UConn, a more traditional power there, but then you've got San Diego State, Miami, and FAU in the final four. And I'm just wondering, you with your big basketball mind, when you're seeing <clears throat> no one seeds, no two seeds, is anybody a three seed even? What was UConn? No. Four, no. four seed. Four. Yeah. yeah, it's the first time. I mean, it's the first time mm-hmm. ever that this has happened. What what what's happening, Rabbi? Are is this an mm-hmm. an outlier (laughs) or or are we seeing a real like changing of the guard whether it be style of play maybe nil factors into it obviously with miami it does um or like parody like what is going on because we know we had one team in the big 10 get into the sweet 16 and then they got the f out so what what's happening in the world of college basketball
0: That's a really good question. I think there's a number of things happening. One thing is we're starting to see the emergence of athletic shot-making guards and wings really dominate. You know, people have said for years, guards win in March. It's one of the cliches about college basketball. But now we're really starting to see that even more. And, like, here's, here's a couple numbers. Here's a couple numbers that are interesting. When you look at the Final Four, three of the four teams in the Final Four, are better on offense than they are on defense. Um, the only the only, the only, only one who's not is San Diego State. They're better on defense than they are on offense. And in the case of Miami, they're far better on offense than on defense. They're top five in the country in adjusted offensive efficiency. They're not even top 100 in adjusted defensive efficiency. Wow. Wow. UConn is better on offense than they are on defense. Florida Atlantic, better on offense than, than they are on defense. And we're seeing good offense beat good defense in the NCAA tournament with more frequency. You know, Miami beat a number of teams in the NCAA tournament that were better defensively than Miami is. So this whole thing of defense wins championships, I mean, can defense still maybe win you a championship yet? Maybe it can, but we're seeing offense become more impactful and we're seeing guys like, you know, you, you look at, um, uh Miami's roster, you know, with, with Pac and Wong and those guys. You know, Wong's listed at I think 6'5, six, 6'4. Six, I test says probably 6'4, but there's an athlete on the wing who can make threes and can create his own shot and can get into the lane. You know, those are the kind of guys who we're seeing have more impact. We're not seeing, I mean, has a has a center dominated team won a title since Patrick Ewing in 1984? I don't think so. So we're now way into, you know, this and and what we're seeing now is more and more evidence it's not just that guards elite guards get you the final four. It's like you look at the Big 10, you know, nobody passes sweet 16. Guards are getting you to the sweet 16 and pass the sweet 16. Guard, you know, Miami against Indiana it, it was, it was no contest. Let's be honest. You know, no. I mean, Miami didn't pull that out at the end with a couple of late threes. They got ahead and they stayed. I, you hadn't a, had a run there, but Miami looked comfortable for uh, after about the first two minutes, it was like, okay, Miami's the better team here. And Miami doesn't start anybody taller than six foot seven.
1: I mean, I mean, correct us if it's wrong, really- but, it, but it was like Northwestern Iowa Penn state all over again for us
0: yeah it was it was and you know with better you know, talent yeah with better talent you know and a norchard uh in the middle for miami their center you know yeah he's a he's a big strong dude but you know he's listed at six foot seven and if that kid's six foot six without shoes on i'll fly out there and wash both of your cars i just i mean <laughs> <laughs> i was like that hey, that kid might be six five uh, he's a horse he is an absolute horse and Mr. Norchard, if you're listening, please, I'm saying this respectfully. I don't <laughs> want to quit with me. Like a bug, which you could, but I just think we're seeing, you know, a change as far as what, what wins. And like Dusty made it a phenomenal job putting together that roster that he's got down there, you know, John L. Davis and those guys, you know, athletes, not the same level athletes that, that UConn has, you know, obviously. But, you know, when you get athletes who are shot makers and and can create space and can, you know, really create for themselves. Like it's, I remember talking to some guys who had to defend Carson Edwards, um, the the stud at Purdue, who led them to the Elite Eight. You know, they came one freaky play from beating Virginia and going to the Final Four. And I said, what was it about Carson that made him hard to guard? They said, it wasn't the shot making. We knew he could make shots. The problem was he moved left and right and you get off balance and he had insane stop and go. So when he put his foot on the deck going forward, You had to backpedal one step because if you didn't, he was going to put you on a poster and embarrass you. Mm. And they're like, once you take that one step back, then if he goes left or right, you're on skates. So we're seeing more guys in that mold. Athletes who can make shots also have the athletic ability to get around defenders, move left and right, get defenders off balance. Those types of players we're seeing having more impact in the NCAA tournament.
2: Mm. All right, so now let's focus in on Indiana. Um, this is probably going to be the biggest roster transition year to year. I was thinking about this. It may be the biggest one since. Crean's first year. Yeah, well, no. When Crean, after the Sweet 16 with Cody, when he lost Cody and Vic and Jordy and and Watford, you know, we lost all those guys and it was a brand new team the next year, except for Yogi, you know, who had Noah Vonley. I think there was a big upheaval also when we lost Thomas Bryant and OG, but we still had Juwan and there were some pieces there that were the same, but regardless, it's one of the biggest transitions that Indiana has had in a very long time. Mm -hmm. And so there's lots of spots to fill and let's talk about, some of those spots and also trying to keep a 30,000 foot view of the roster. Are you, do you get the sense that Indiana wants to play differently than they have played? And are they attacking the transfer portal with that in mind, or is it just too early to tell on that?
0: Well, I know they would like, you know, a, a center to replace Trace. They like the idea of Malik Renault no, at the four. So I think the general concept is still, you know, two bigger guys up front, um, which we saw the past couple of years with Trace and Ray. Um, and, and yeah, Ward's reaction, I think, is probably, I hope nobody's throwing things at their laptops or TVs right now. But, but wait, many- well, hold, How- hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm going to take
2: the tack of being a little bit optimistic on this, a little bit for this podcast. Because Malik Renew has shown one incredible touch around the rims. So let's just give him credit for that. Better touch than Trace Jackson Davis has. I mean, real skill. He also has shown early in the year, he does have, I think, much more an ability to shoot a mid-range jump shot and a little bit further away from the rim than Race Thompson did. And we know Race chucked some threes, but over Race's career, he was not a guy that you felt comfortable with shooting anywhere outside of putbacks and dunks. And I think Malik, it's fair to say, has a ton more upside when it comes to that part of the
1: game than Race did. Would you agree with that, Rabbi? I'll give you that, yeah. Yeah, and I would too, but like... Uh, What gives me such consternation is how many teams that did well this year in the tournament played two bigs. Yeah. Again,
2: I don't have a real argument against that. (laughs) I'm just saying that compared to how we played last year, the bigs that they're going after, there is a potential that they get a big who is not a, just pounded in back to the basket type guy. There are some names out there of bigs that that would be playing two bigs, but not the same type of two bigs as race and trace. Is that fair, Rabbi?
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think, you know, there, there are some guys who are in the portal and some guys who are rumored to maybe be in the portal. Um, and there are guys who are more athletic, rim runner, shot blocker types. You don't necessarily have to pound it into. I think, so here's one of the things that's going to be interesting for for roster construction moving forward. The many ways to study teams, okay? One of them is to look at how they do against top 100 competition. just gives you a general lay of the land versus good teams, and it takes away stats against teams you just crush by 20, 30, 40 points. So Indiana Indiana last year, against top 100 opponents, they were 41st. Adjusted offensive efficiency. They were only 100th in defensive efficiency, meaning their defense, even though that was the goal, their defense really wasn't, you know, all that. And, I'm and sorry, are we
1: talking about Indiana? I missed that part. Yeah, we're talking, yes. about we're
0: talking about Indiana. Damn. And if you look at breakdowns of how they score, Indiana was 359th in the country against top 100 opponents as Far as percentage of points you get from three-point range. How many teams are there? How many teams are there? Like 363. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so you're you're one of the five worst teams. Now you don't you don't have to go shoot a ton of threes, but we're not we didn't say they were 159th or 259. <laughs> we said 359. So when you don't even have a consistent threat of the three, then people pack it in the lane which is what we saw happen to IU in a number of games they lost. Rutgers did it. Uh, Northwestern did it. Other people did it. And IU didn't have, when they didn't take threes, it wasn't like you had an Isaiah Wong and Brandon Miller and all these guys who, hey, just throw it to them. Everybody get out of the way. And they're athletic enough. They're going to get to the paint and make a play. You know, IU really, you know, the ball screen stuff with Jalen Hutchfino was very good. Um, the analytics will tell you it would have been much better had some of those long twos been threes. Yes. But the ball screen stuff was generally speaking, pretty productive for Indiana, especially when they played teams like Purdue that played a drop, Drake drop coverage with the big, meaning whenever the ball screen happens, the big just automatically drops in the lane that gave Fino space and, and space is a shooter's best friend. So that ball screen stuff was effective at times and that that is positive for IU but when you don't even have the threat of the three then you then you create space problems a lot of the time and like Miami the other day when when they made their comeback to go to the final four I I can't I don't think they made a three in the second half but what happened was the game before Nigel Pack in the Sweet 16 game had gone seven for ten from three so the next opponent goes okay we're going to defend arc and beyond and they did that. And then Miami was able to, okay, you're going to come out a step beyond the arc. We're going to run action and make you think we're going for a three. And our guys are putting their foot in the floor and go around you. Mm. So the threat of the three is, it's not as important as the three, because making a three gives you three points. But the threat of the three also is a factor. So I think one of the things with Indiana, and that's why guys like Nick Timberlake, in the transfer portal is is very, very attractive. And guys like that, I think would be very beneficial for IU's overall roster construction for next season.
2: All right. Well, then let's just dive into talking about some of these guys. you mentioned Nick Timberlake. Let's start there. Uh, Give people a quick, you know, for those that maybe have not read some of your great stories that you've put out there and you've been putting it on the board. So we always tell people the best way to stay up to date on Indiana basketball is to be a subscriber for pigs.com. Uh, you just get all the information that you could possibly want and more, but give us a quick recap on where's he from? Uh, where's he been playing? I should say. And then what is the current state of his recruitment as you know it today?
0: Sure. Nick Timberlake uh, last year was at Towson um, came out of uh, one of the prep schools, one of the nipsack schools, uh, Kimball union Academy, uh, Northeast kind of kid last year, 17.7 points, 2.4 assists, 41.6% on 6.3 three-point attempts per game. That's the biggest number for me. Uh, 59.8% true shooting percentage. Anytime you're getting close to 60, you're really good. Um, he's strong, he's physical, he's an older guy. He knows how to go out and get shots. He knows how to make shots. Um, as far as his recruitment, uh, I think we're looking at Indiana, North Carolina, Ohio State. Uh, a little bit of Kansas, a little bit of UCLA, uh, St. John's may jump in. So he's a really coveted guy. But Mike Woodson, you know, just had an in-home visit with him on Sunday. Sounds like that went really well. Um, Timberlake's been talking to Xavier Johnson, IU senior point guard. So that that's another card that IU has to play. Um, but it, it's going to be very competitive because Timberlake, people look at him and some people said, hmm, maybe he can become like Jalen Pickett. I don't know if he's going to make that many threes because I don't know if a lot of teams are going to hunt threes as much as Micah Shrewsbury did this past year at Penn State. But I know several coaches I've talked to. That's one of the guys that they bring up. You know he he can he can be another Jalen Pickett. Um, so, but Indiana's in there. Uh, they just that did the in home, and I think as things stand right now, they got a chance for a campus visit. Has to happen, but they got a chance. Okay, okay. who's up? Uh,
2: move- Let's oh, move yeah. on to Chris Ledlam, a Harvard kid, right? I know very little about him uh, other than what I've read from your stories. So please give us a, a little bit of a recap on him and where things stand with him.
0: Sure. Yeah. Uh, played at Harvard, six foot six, pretty stout build. Um, another kid who came out of the nipsack, played played at uh, Northfield, Mount Herman up there in the Northeast. 18.8 points, 8.5 rebounds. Uh, 54.1 true shooting percentage, uh, only 29, 29 29.4% on 4.9, three point attempts per game. Uh, he does have a really good release on his shot. Um, I I think his three point percentage could improve, but he's one of those guys who could maybe play the three and, and, and give you a little more physicality from the three spot. Um, uh, Oh, that's interesting.
2: You You see him that you think that he could be a three
0: in theory i'm saying in theory i think to me he makes the most sense as a small ball four i think that that makes the most sense but he he has shown enough ability to get in get into the lane that if that three point percentage even if you get that thing up to 33 to 34% it just changes the way defenses are going to look at you um and again that shot's not bad he, he he's got some he's got some good euro steps to his driving game Uh, He's not an explosive kind of athlete, but he does use that bigger build really well. Um, You know, sometimes he drives through the defender instead of trying to go around them. Um, But but I think, you know, there's different things he could do to be helpful. And I think that that's another guy Indiana just had the, uh, as far as his recruitment, Indiana coach Mike Woodson just had the in-home visit with him on Sunday. Um, He's another guy that I think, I would say I'll go fairly likely as far as will he visit Indiana. I'm going to go fairly likely right now. But okay, you wouldn't about,
2: go fairly likely with Timberlake
0: yet. I wouldn't go quite that far. Okay. I if we're going to play with words, I would say likely on Timberlake. Okay. You know,
1: pretty likely with Ludlam. I'd put Ludlam just one notch above. Okay. How about the uh, the one player we actually have some familiarity with, Jamison Battle out of Minnesota. What are you, what are you thinking? What are you hearing?
0: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Indiana jumped in pretty hard pretty quickly. He's had a call with Mike Woodson um battles also talked to another, other members of the iu staff i know that he's definitely intrigued by indiana uh he's intrigued by the chance to you know play at a at a big name brand basketball school um he, he's a guy who when he transferred out of george washington to minnesota that indiana had some conversations with at that point in time so there's a little bit of history there um He's he's got a number of schools that are, that are coming already, and I think there's a chance some more schools come. um It's going to be in. I, I don't know that you know Butler's trying really hard. You know they're they're trying to sell you know basketball in Indiana, Hinkle Fieldhouse, all that. It's a good sales pitch if you're Butler. That's that's what you pitch. I just think he's looking maybe at a little higher profile. Ohio <laughs> State's trying, Xavier's trying, Cincinnati's trying. um Ohio State or I'm sorry, Iowa State has a connection there. I certainly would keep them at least in mind as of right now. Uh, but he's another guy. You know, He's been productive at the high major level. And when you have demonstrated production at the high major level, oftentimes you're a pretty coveted kid.
2: What do you say to people who would make the argument that, yes, he's been productive, he's on a really shitty team in Minnesota where it doesn't really matter who shoots, just go ahead and get your shots up, and... You know, going from that to then a team where you're expected to produce and impact winning. Is he really the guy for that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think he would. In my eyes, he would be a helpful piece. I don't know if he's your lead dog. If you're a really good team, I don't know if he's your lead dog. Um, You know, his production as a junior was a little bit better. Uh, Shooting percentage was a little bit better. It dropped off to thirty-one point one percent uh on seven point zero three point attempts per game this past year. Long. So that needs to be a little bit better. Um but can that's start with
1: teams, that's like teams really keying on him too. Like if he's yeah. instead of being the only show in town, he's one of three, he could get better looks. That's true.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And no positionally he's a he's a forward. He's he's a six seven forward, you know. Um I I think if if he shoots it like he did as a junior, he would shoot it well enough to to be a three. Um, but you know, he, he's also a little bit of a tweener in, in old school speak,
2: okay. And then let's talk about the guy who may be closest to actually committing to Indiana. Um, who by the time this podcast airs, who knows? Um, Peyton Sparks from Ball State, they're back to the basket center, two years there, sophomore has got two years left of eligibility. He's the guy that I think Ward and I know the most because. He played for Michael Lewis and we watched a lot of ball state, uh, by all reports, I can say great kid, like great kid, people love him, hard worker, uh, no problem at all in the locker room seems to understand that going from ball state to Indiana, his role will drastically change, um, visiting indiana today which is monday by the time this podcast airs it'll be tuesday but on campus i believe as we speak mm-hmm. um and and seems to be a kid who grew up wanting to play in indiana so what what do you what do you want to say more about him
0: yeah uh you know he, he played at winchester indiana and his his dream was to play at iu coming out of high school he just he just wasn't he never got really recruited at that level um he was a really good player I um, actually played AAU for, for a guy I've known for, for a long time. Uh, and, you know, a Ball State, you know, 13.3 points, 8.7 rebounds. Uh, his offensive rebounding is probably the thing that likely should translate the best to the high major level. But he's 100% uh, a, a back-to-the-basket kind of guy. I mean, I think it's – I don't have it right in front of me, but more than – I think it's like right at 85% of his made baskets were at the rim dunks are at the rim so this is this is very much a back to the basket on the block kind of guy um you know 58.0 true shooting percentage so that that's that's pretty solid um you know he, he's not a bad passer 13.2 assist rate that's not bad for a center um but certainly going from the mac which is you know a one bid league as far as NCAA tournament goes to the Big Ten, which traditionally gets six, seven, eight, nine teams in, you know, what we're talking about is, you know, role player off the bench, depth off the bench. You know, a guy to, you know, backup center, maybe something like that. Um, that's that's essentially what you would project
1: Sparks' role to be if he were to transfer to a place like Indiana. When we're talking about um these guys who we're going after, it's it's hard not to like start to envision what our team could be on the floor next year so if if x gets the waiver and he he can come back and be our point then you've got malik down low obviously it sounds like they're they're looking at him for the four but whatever one big down near the block somewhere and you're looking at trey most likely is is out there and you're starting five um, but then you've got, okay, we've talked about a, a shooting guard, a six four shooting guard. we've we've talked about battle. that's sort of like six seven. I, I guess in in your mind, like you put the puzzle together instead of me of what what you think this staff wants to put out there in terms of of of, of playing style. and you kind of touched on it, oh, the idea of of Malik being a four, but I mean, is is there a five like the Virginia kid? Who are we talking about? Like oh no. Oh, redo redo that. Redo Vanita. that. Yeah, he hasn't he hasn't. Oh he's not before. in. Okay, let me make a note. Here I'll start back up again. Let me just make this yeah. note.
2: I think you could just go back to, you know, knowing that we've got let's just assume we've got Malik and X. Okay. How do you think they want to fill it out?
1: So just assuming we've got Malik and X, how do you think they want to fill it out? How do they they see this team playing, looking next year?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think the idea of, of getting another starting center is something they'd be very intrigued by, um, and that can look a number of different ways. You know, it could be Graham Ikey, um, it could, it could be potentially other guys. Um, and then they definitely want to get, you know, some guys, some older guys, you know, a little bit taller, a little bit longer on the wings, um, who can make shots. So I, you know, I think the ideal would be somebody like a Timberlake. Um, in fact, he's he's an automatic take for I think anybody recruiting him. He's he's pretty good and he's an older guy. So Timberlake. And then I actually think the idea would be if you can get a more athletic three. Um, I really like uh Jaquan Walton uh, from Wichita State um he's a guy that India is talking to you know six foot seven you know one of those bouncier athletes um shot 40 percent from three only 3.8 attempts per game i would certainly think about moving that up if i were to take him you know about 64.9 true shooting percentage that's very very good for a wing so i think the idea would be ideal would be you know get more athletic get more playmakers get more shot makers but The other thing to keep in mind is, you know, this isn't a draft. You know, other people compete for players too. And you can sit here and say, I want A, B, C, D, and E. Great. You can say you want it. Doesn't mean you can go get it. Um, And it doesn't mean other people might not beat you for some of those good players. So sometimes you, you aim for certain things. But in the portal, you also have to figure out, okay, what's the floor as far as player skills? What am I willing to accept? You know, you have to put together a roster. You can't go, well, we didn't get what we wanted, so we're not going to play basketball in Indiana next year. We're going to put together our roster for 24, 25. We're going to we're going to sit it up. You got to put a team on the floor and you got to have a roster and you got to have backups. So you know, I'm going to be intrigued as to see how the portal plays out. You know, it's really early as we're talking here, you know, and I know fans are like, what's the roster going to look like? I don't know. Nobody, <laughs> knows. Woodson doesn't know. The assistants don't know. Nobody can sit here and say they know. But I think, you know, if they were able to get a guy like Timberlake and somebody like Walton, you know, more athletic playmaking, shot-making types, I think that would really help them a lot for next year because if if you – If you spend another year being very dependent upon post-scoring, I think that lowers the ceiling of your floor, or uh, lowers the ceiling of your team. I really do. Trace Jackson Davis was one of Indiana's all-time great players, one of the most productive players Indiana has ever had, the only one with 2,000 career points, the only one with 1,000 rebounds to do both, the only one to do both. And they made it to the round of 32. Okay? Okay they didn't really compete for the Big Ten Championship. They went 12 and eight during a year, the Big Ten had no teams go past the Sweet 16. So it wasn't like there were some world beater as a team this past year. They had a good year, they got to the NCAA Tournament, they won an NCAA Tournament game, a main bracket game. You know, by IU's historical standards, is that good enough? Of course not, everybody knows that. But when you've go, gone, you know, you made it to the tournament the previous year, but before that, you had five years where you didn't even make the NCAA Tournament, okay? So getting to the round of 32 in terms of the past seven years is a very solid season. But your goals, if you're Indiana, you should aspire to compete for an opportunity to go to the Final Four. That's what Indiana basketball needs to be about. That's what it should be about. Now, when the tournament upsets happen, good teams lose, good teams, really good teams. You know, the NCAA tournament's full of really good teams who didn't make the Final Four. But the idea with roster construction is, in my opinion... Look at what gives your program the best chance to compete to make an NCAA tournament run and build your roster in that manner. To me, that's the ideal.
2: Couldn't agree more. Um, the Jaquan Walton one is interesting because I haven't seen nearly as much buzz around Indiana recruiting him as I have with Timberlake or Ledlum or E.K. Is that how you pronounce it, E.K. from yes. Wyoming? Okay. Yes. Um but as you described Walton, he seemed like if you were to go into a lab and create what you need at Indiana, it would be a six foot seven, bouncy three, you know, guy that can play the three who can shoot threes well. Like that would be something we haven't had since, I don't know, Troy Williams, maybe around there, you know, something like that. Good. You know, what is the deal there? Is it that we just don't have an advantage, tough to get in to recruit him or? I, what or am I just wrong and I just haven't read enough and we are recruiting him hard.
0: Well, I think uh, the, the difference is, you know, IU hasn't been to see him or he hasn't been to campus at IU. And the other people we're talking about, especially with, with Timberlake and Ludlum, you know, and, and Peyton Sparks, either IU has been to see them or there's a there's a campus visit happening. So there's just more activity there. Uh IU's talking to Walton. Um I, I know they would love to get him on campus. We'll we'll see, you know, what Woodson decides as far as who gets a visit, you know, an in-home visit from the coaching staff. But, yeah, I mean, I think Walton's really interesting. You know, he, he was at Georgia and basically didn't do much for for a couple of years. and But a lot of people saw, you know, an athlete who could make plays. Wichita State went out and got him, and, and he was very solid. Again, he, he's not like a big-time three-point shooter, um, you know, but 40% on 105 three-point attempts. That's very, very, very solid. Yeah. Very. <laughs> and, and actually, with that percentage and and that number of attempts, which again, that's what three point eight attempts per wouldn't, game. Wouldn't
2: Wouldn't that be more than Miller Cop shot for us? I mean, what did uh, Miller Cop
0: shoot? I have to look, but yeah, yeah. And I, I don't have it right in front of me, but I'm gonna look it up. You know, three point attempts per game is solid, but if you're shooting forty you, percent, you want the attempts to go up because even if the percentage drops to like thirty seven, thirty eight percent, you know, if you double the attempts. Your offensive efficiency still goes up, but as far as Walton goes, I like him. I mean, I think I think that's the kind of athletic wing that that that's going to help you. Again, is he going to be the lead dog? I don't know about that. But with Indiana, Xavier Johnson to me, Xavier Johnson and Malik Renault should be the should be the lead dogs next year. Unless you get a stud, a stud. Now, if you get Timberlake and you decide you want to unleash him as a three point shooter, that could change a lot. He might be your lead dog next year.
2: Well, I would also argue if Xavier Johnson and Malik Renault are your two lead dogs, you don't have a high ceiling next year.
0: Probably fair. That's probably very fair. I mean, you may
2: you may be able to get to the NCAA tournament if they're your lead dogs and you fill in with really good, solid role players. But look, the truth is, I think ideally – they would love to have somebody that is better than Trey Galloway to start at the two. I think they would love to have Timberlake at the two, have Trey coming off the bench where he can be an energy guy and come in and spell Xavier if he needs to. You know, obviously, you've got Gabe Cups, and we'll talk about the freshman in a second. But I think they would love to have Trey coming off the bench, fill in with a three like you're talking about with Walton or Ledlum, perhaps, maybe, and then a rim-running athletic five you know to go with Malik now that's a team that could probably make the NCAA tournament and and if all things come together maybe make some noise but but they clearly want to upgrade the talent and have to or we're going to be in some trouble so sure. can we go to the freshman for a second let's sure. look we still It's still more exciting to talk freshmen than it is transfers, in my opinion, because you have the dream that this is going to be your next Trace Jackson Davis, and you're going to be able to follow this guy for the next four or five years, depending. But that's what makes it exciting, is that this may become a guy who really establishes himself as a Hoosier for the next half decade. And there is reason to be optimistic about these two guys coming in for very different reasons. Um, so let's let's refresh everybody's memory. Let's start with Gabe Cups because he has been the most visible recruit that I can remember committing to Indiana University in forever. Uh, tell us about Gabe, how his season ended up, and what kind of player he is, and what do you think we can expect of him next year?
0: <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, so we're talking about um, a a 6'2", point guard. A coach's son, very high basketball IQ, really understands what his team is trying to get possession by possession, game by game. How are they defending us? What are they taking away? Let's try to figure out what we need to do this game, this possession, this half. He runs a team really well. He runs offense incredibly well. Um, He runs his father's system at Centerville, Ohio, to about as precise as I think a high school kid probably can run an offensive system won a state championship had another state runner-up had another year where they reached I believe the final four so three very successful long runs his sophomore junior and senior season at Centerville Ohio Uh, played on the Midwest basketball club on the Adidas circuit Um, his his shooting really improved Um, he's a very capable three-point shooter now uh, he was not a, like a high-volume shooter because they had Jonathan Powell and they had some other guys who could do things. So the point guard did his job to make sure that other guys got their shots as well. Um, he, he's not a big-time athlete. You know, he's not out there. You know, he's not going to turn the corner and just blow by guys and get into the paint the way an Xavier Johnson does. He's much more of a, um, you know, a, a a point guard who runs the team and can can score when necessary. Is but, it
2: fair, Rabbi, to because we saw this guy a lot, and he got a lot of attention because he was a freshman from the state of Indiana? Is it fair to say that Gabe Cups is in the Braden Smith world? I know they're not exactly the same player, but is that a fair comparison?
0: Um, a little bit. I th- I think Cups is better as a pure point guard. You know, Braden was really asked to carry a big scoring load for his Westfield team. And there were times he was, Braden was the primary ball handler and the number one option offensively, pretty much possession by possession. And Centerville was not as dependent upon Cups for points game by game by game. You know, last year they had, what, four D1 kids on that team? Obviously, Gabe's one of them. He was back this year. Powell's one of them. He was back. But they had two. So Gabe really could run the team. And there were times it was, okay, you know, Powell's got it going. Let's feed him. Um, and and Braden's a little more athletic. You know, Braden. If you had those guys go end to end or run the cone drill or do some things that coaches like to do, where there's screens and you got to go around them and how you get the spaces, Braden. Braden's a little on the quicker side,
1: but, and but he's I think, bigger too, right? A little bigger.
0: Uh, they're pretty similar stature wise, but I think Cups is Cups is a little more put together up top physically comparing at the same stage you know guys coming out of high school so i, th- I think gabe is going to have the strength i know he's going to have it as a as a true freshman but i think over his over his iu career I think he's going to have the strength to handle maybe some guys who might be a little more athletic um you know in, in 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 the big 10 and against power five opponents
1: well and it seems kind of ideal as much as it probably hurt us this season uh eric and i could argue about how much it hurt us this season not to have x but for uh gabe to be Wait, able to I come just in just
2: jump in i oh. was i i have to say this
1: that you were wrong it's okay we yes know.
2: yes <laughs> yes because it. i i didn't articulate what i was trying to articulate well enough mm. it clearly hurt indiana to not have xavier johnson it is silly to argue otherwise we would be a better team if we had Xavier Johnson and Jalen Hood Shafino. I, I believe that. I don't know how much better, but we would be better. So I apologize and would like to issue a formal
1: correction. Let the let the record show. All right. But um, I feel you know, without like dumping on to Gabe, what got dumped on to Braden Smith this year, it's like great, yes, let him come in and spell X and really get caught up to the speed of d1 basketball for a year um but then would you be optimistic rabbi once once x's is, is no longer a hoosier like gabe is somebody we can look forward to running the show for three years beyond that or i guess because what we saw even with jalen who is not like a slow player but it's like neither jalen nor trey we're able to keep these Penn State, Northwestern, Iowa, Miami guards in front of them. Like, just where the game's going, can Matt Pay- Painter, can Mike Woodson, get away with guard play where you know they're just not fast enough?
0: Well, I mean, schematically, you can. Okay, you know, like when when guys aren't able to keep guys in front of them one-on-one based on athletic ability there are other things you can do defensively from a scheme standpoint to give your guys an advantage you know you can sort of you know pinch from the wings there's other things you can do and with with defense if you're if the other guy the offensive player is more athletic you can be an impactful defender if you know how to position yourself very well if you understand the scouting report very well and you make difficult for the other guy what he likes to do the most. doesn't mean you're going to win the matchup all the time, but if you position yourself very well, you can be an impactful defender. But it depends upon your position and the position of your four teammates. They need to be taking things away as well or making things very difficult. Maybe it's being in the passing lane. Maybe you're three-quartering the post as opposed to playing behind him, different things like that. So it can happen, but but when you are going against superior athletes, then it comes down to scheme. And yeah, you know, you're gonna have to scheme for some things. Um, I'm very comfortable with Gabe Cups' his IQ and his understanding. Very comfortable that he's gonna be fully into scouting reports, understanding opponents' tendencies, understanding opponents' preferences. But if people are asking him to win one on one matchups just based upon physical ability and quickness, um There's a lot to like about Gabe Cops, but I don't think that's fair. He's not that kind of athlete horizontally. He just doesn't have that kind of physical, those kind of physical gifts.
2: He does seem like a guy that could be very good as long as the rest of the team is excellent. Like he yeah. needs a lot of he needs like he's doing it in in his high school team. He's got a lot of talent around him, and he's the glue that keeps them all together and makes sure that they know where to go and 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 gets what what what.
1: Well, he he's so smart. That's why he's recruiting his ass off to get Flory and everybody else there. He's like, <laughs> look, you get me the talent around me, and I will let them cook.
0: Yeah, it's fair. Yeah. That's yeah. Fair. and I think not even just let them cook. I think he'll be the one who you know. He'll cook the meal. They'll get to eat it, but he's mm-hmm. going to make sure, okay, if you put Gabe Cups with four dudes, you know, let's say a, a couple wings, column twos, column threes, whatever, a post player, and somebody on the baseline, or maybe it's three wings. It doesn't matter. They will love playing with Gabe Cups because he will get them the ball where they want the ball, and he will do it all game long, and mm-hmm. he'll score when he needs to score, but Gabe Cups is happy – if hey you guys you guys got it going i'm gonna feed you if the defense hasn't adjusted to you i'm gonna keep feeding you so if you make three in a row don't think it's somebody else's turn it's your turn to score until i tell you it's not your freaking turn to score Mm. so be ready because the ball's coming i think he's very good at playing with talent and accentuating what talent can do if i'm iu and i'm thinking okay two three four years down the road gabe is my point guard man I want some wings and I want some athletes because I I can tell them, listen, this dude is your point guard. Not only is he not selfish, but he's going to learn your game to where he can help you go score. Well, he seems like, go ahead.
2: I was just going to say, he seems like the perfect point guard that gets you to the point where the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Like he is this, the secret sauce that when you add it to a bunch of other players, Everybody gets elevated even more because he just prepares everyone for success more than they could on their own.
1: Yeah, I I think that's very fair. I think it's a very fair description of Gabe Cups. Well, and I think it the segue is into the other freshman coming in who's he we we had him on the show and he really just decided to really focus on basketball relatively recently and then he did get hurt for this season but when we're talking about these long athletic wings who who can shoot and you know maybe create some stuff on their own you know what jakai newton could be is sort of this this ideal wing we don't know we we really don't know but i guess rabbi in terms of what you have seen when he was healthy what you heard or saw since he did get eased back into action later in his senior year down in georgia i mean what what would be realistic expectations for jakai coming in as a freshman and then where could he potentially project
0: yeah, I, I think the the potential is what's really intriguing with Jakai Newton. He he's around six foot four, has around a six foot ten wingspan. Hmm. Um, he's a very very. He's got those are terrific physical tools right there. His ability to play horizontally is good with his quickness, but it's 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 accentuated by that six ten wingspan. He he's a quick athlete. He's a powerful athlete. You know, his he, his thighs look like a high school running back. I mean, he he wow. has a really really good physique for a college basketball player. Um, his his shooting has been improving each of the last two years, but his ability to go make plays is something that I think you know IU hasn't had a whole lot of you know athletes with those kind of measurables who who can go make plays out, out on the wing. And and I don't expect a ton. I don't think. I don't expect a ton as a freshman i just think he's going to need some time he's going to need to improve a couple skills um but i think he's one of those kind of guys where the ceiling is the floor is high and the ceiling is really high you know if he gets a fairly consistent jump shot and he can drive and you let that guy maybe get out and get out and transition a little bit that's the kind of guy who can become a very very helpful player for you and he's got all the physical tools necessary to be an impact defender that's just going to be about time getting acclimated to the high major level. But I think there's a lot of, I mean, if Jekai Newton hadn't gotten hurt, I'm not too sure. We're not talking about a top 60 kind of guy. I, I think that's where he would be.
2: Okay. I'm sure people will not like this, <clears throat> but because he did get hurt and because he is late to the game a little bit, he should be red shirted. Like in an ideal world, like he should be redshirted. So should CJ Gunn have been redshirted. CJ Gunn was not physically ready for what was going to be demanded of him. And I don't believe that that year that CJ Gunn just played helped him. I don't. He played limited minutes. He was forced to come in and shit games where we were up or down. He had those few games where he was put in to try to shake some things up early on in the season. I I don't think the lost year of eligibility helps a guy like CJ Gunn when you don't have a COVID year, you know, these guys sure. don't have COVID years. And when I read comments about Chakai either, I think they were from him. There was even some like comments. I wish I could pull them up. They were on peaks, but they were comments that made me think like, they're not sure he's going to be fully, fully healthy, even in the preseason for this coming
0: year. Do you know did you did yeah. you read I I didn't read that okay. wrong, right? No, you got it right. I think that was when I talked to him when he had just come back for the state playoffs. Yes. Down in Georgia. And no, I mean he he's he's healthy as far as the knee has healed. Right. Okay? Of course. There's a 100% difference between being fully healed and ready to go play power five basketball games. Now, those are two different things. And and he even said, you know, I'm going to be there in June but I don't know how much I'm basic then paraphrasing, but yes. I don't know how much I'm going to be able to do until maybe into the fall. Well, if that's the situation, I think redshirt year is a very reasonable conversation because it's better for him. It's better, it's better, for, better for him. him and it's better for Indiana because then you get four years. Okay. So would you rather one of the four be spot minutes that don't impact any winning or losing, or would you rather be one of the four, at the end of his career, when he's going to be 22, 23 years old, when he's going to be, his skills are going to be as good as they've ever been. You know, would you rather have that be one of his four? Right. So anytime. And by the anytime, way,
2: and by the way, Rabbi, if he explodes right. in the three years, like you know, if he explodes and becomes an NBA player, well, God bless. Then, then nobody right. was was worse for wear. Like then, then right. God bless you. But expecting a kid. Who is already saying he's not a hundred percent from a from a basketball shape you know at that level to right. expect him to come in and contribute and learn this system and play at this physical level it's it's so much that I am approaching it like I hope the kid red shirts because it'll show I think also a commitment to his career at Indiana yes. as opposed to a mindset of like, I got to come in and contribute right away. We sh- We just had this whole conversation about transfers and where the game is headed. We shouldn't be expecting true freshmen. One true freshman, one was a starter on the eight Elite Eight teams. One right. out of 40. And and it was, um I think it's Caravan from Connecticut.
0: Is that who it was? Yeah. I think yeah. he was. Alabama lost, so it wouldn't have been Brandon Miller. I think it's Caravan from UConn.
1: Can Can we take a step back? Because I agree with every, everything being discussed here, but what I don't understand is how is like an 18 year old kid whose knee is fully healed in March, not going to be physically ready for like, like for six months from now, like what, what, I mean, to me, when I think about getting into like game shape, that's a fair question. Maybe six, eight weeks if you're really getting after it. So, so what? Uh, what is going to take so long for him to be physically ready to play basketball?
0: Yeah, good point. And it's not that he's definitely not going to be ready for a while. It's just that, you know, with the knee being fully healthy, they want to be careful. You don't want to stress it to the point that you're even risking you know, further uh, an additional injury or something like that. So I think the conversation is more about what's the best approach as far as how many hours per week do we want him going full go on the court, full go in practice. Yeah, you can work on your shooting all you want. Take as many hours you want in Cook Hall. You know, you can do the strength and conditioning program that's only going to strengthen, you know, your body and help prevent future injuries. But, you know the pounding he's such an explosive athlete too right that you know there was a lot of stress and strain on those those legs of his I mean he's got some power to his game and I think a little bit of the conversation and this is just my guess I don't know this for sure but I think it's a reasonable guess I think it's an educated guess how much pounding do you want to put him through in June and July or do you want to sort of make it a little more measured and kind of walk it up the stairs rather than what a lot of programs do they throw the freshman in hard in the summer just so it's the whole throw them in the deep end so they understand what it takes. We know they're gonna; the water's going to be over their head at times. We want to throw them in the deep end so that they get a sense of it. On the other hand, sometimes when guys are coming off injuries, you, you take a different approach and say, okay, let's stair step it up. Let's let him walk it up the stairs rather than just throw him in the deep end. So that's the conversation there. And, and I do think when you talk about roster construction big picture, one of the things is you know everybody says oh look at the number of transfers who are starting yes true and good point but also in that graphic you mentioned ward look at the number of seniors who are starting on elite eight teams okay if you want to have seniors you gotta walk them up the stairs when they're freshmen sophomores and juniors you want them to improve and you know a fifth year senior is very helpful in the game of college basketball again Average age of starters on on the Elite Eight teams, most of them 22 years and older, average. So having older guys is helpful. So if you have an opportunity to bring in talent, you don't have to ask talent to produce immediately all the time. I think sometimes people get a little over their ski as far as, oh, this kid's good. He's going to come in and average 15 points. No, he might not be ready. And sometimes when freshmen don't score in big numbers, people say, oh, he was overrated. He, he, you know, he's averaging four points, whatever. Sometimes guys just aren't ready. Sometimes guys are talented. They have ability, but they're not ready. Power Five's very fast, and it's very physical. It's faster and more physical play-by-play than most high school kids have game-to-game. So there are significant yeah. adjustments that have to be made. Not very many guys are ready to be impact players game-to-game as freshmen. That's why you saw, you know, what was it, one freshman starting one. in elite eight? One. one. That doesn't mean other guys aren't talented. They might not just be ready. There's nothing wrong with bringing in talent to your roster and allowing it to mature. Well, I think, I think- that's something that really good programs, it's why well, I think it's going to be interesting to see with good programs, you know, they're still recruiting freshmen. And three, four years down the road, how many. You know 16 starters are seniors out of 40 it's a pretty solid percentage yes yeah it's a very solid percentage so that at least suggests that if you bring in good talent if you keep it and develop it it's going to give you an opportunity to have impact players down the road not everything has to be about next year next year next year i think intelligent programs think down the road okay What do we want to look like in three years? And how do we get our roster to where we want it to be in three years? There has to be a plan. And I think over the next three or five years, I think it's possible we see the difference between programs that have plans and programs that every year are in scramble mode.
1: I think that that's a great point. Yeah, yeah, like I think player development for our program. And I just like to take a moment for you, Rabbi, to reflect on, hey, you're out there recruiting, you're trying to get these guys in other schools are out there negatively recruiting against you and I think we have some examples of Trace clearly took his game to another level. Jalen was able to come in and be one of the absolute best freshmen in the country right away. We saw some real improvement to Trey's game. There are other players we did not see the, the leap forward we were hoping for and ultimately really depending on to accomplish what the preseason expectations were of this team. So when you're you're looking at what what iu has done let's let's look at this last season um is is that a a real positive a real negative does it kind of is it a is it a wash with the players that developed and those who didn't what do you what's your take and what do you think other coaches are saying about that
0: I've a pretty good idea what some other people are saying, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but that that happens with everybody. You know, like you use the phrase negative recruiting, which is a very common phrase. A lot of people say that. Um, coaches will say, it's recruiting. I'm trying to beat these other four schools. So where I think I'm better or where I think they have a deficiency, I'm pointing it out to people I'm recruiting. Uh, so that that does happen.
2: That, that know, said, Rabbi, I would be... A phenomenal negative recruiter. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: that's good. That's good. Um, Indiana does have some things to point to, and I think you hit on the three main guys, Trace Jackson Davis, Jalen Fino, Trey Galloway. Those are the guys who I think improve the most, especially when you look at Trace, where he was as a sophomore. Woody turned him into an elite shot blocker, uh, pretty much unleashed him, told him, hey, you don't have to turn and block out your guy all the time. If you can go protect the rim, go protect the rim. And it's somebody else's job to go block out your guy. So, would he change Trace as a rim protector? Uh, I think he also changed Trace uh, as far as an offensive player, as far as how he could score and different things like that. I know people sometimes get caught up in, we well, didn't shoot threes. He didn't shoot. I get that. I understand that. I, you know, I read scoring circles, I know what we're talking about. But Trace's offensive game is monumentally different as a senior than it was as a sophomore. There were so many things that he could do as far as position, footwork, the fact that you brought Trace away from the basket, threw him the ball, and let him make plays. And then the third thing is Trace became a phenomenal passer for a big man. Phenomenal. He became a point center. He became a point center. There were times IU threw the ball to Trace Jackson Davis near or outside the arc for the purpose of running action so he could throw the ball to somebody else you know he hit cutters his his passes to the to the opposite from one block to the opposite corner for threes were fantastic um so i think that's the number one thing that iu has you know if they had a poster child for player development under mike woodson it's Trace Jackson davis he's one Jalen fino's game his ability to read and do things in the ball screen was really good uh, a number of nba scouts even said man you know, we were down there with you at Mount Verde in the fall and, you know, when, when Jalen was a senior and it was good. And you saw the potential, but it wasn't this good. And ball screen stuff, the ability to read ball screens, function in ball screens, everything. That was good. And then Trey Galloway, you just look at his shooting improvement. Just, just you know, the numbers, you know, 18 some percent to high 30s, you know, 100 percent improvement. So I think those are the three guys for Indiana that they would point to the most.
2: Um, you want to talk about the other three guys? That okay. no, we, we, we,
1: <laughs> this is this is no. the uplifting episode of the Hoosier Hysteria. <laughs> yeah, exactly,
2: exactly. So uh, to that point, though, I do want to. You, you brought up, you know, one freshman starting. You know, we talked about that uh, amongst the elite eight teams, and where you're getting real impact, more impact is seniors and upperclassmen. Obviously, it does make you wonder. These teams that we are so used to, and I'm gonna put us in that group because we go after these players too. The hot shot name, Romeo Lankford, right? I'm gonna put Florey Badunga in this in this group. Guys that you know are one and done Like before they ever step foot on campus, everybody wants them to be one and done. Is it even worth your while? to go after a guy like that with the amount of time that you have to put in, like, look, Indiana staff right now is putting in more time on Flory than they are any other recruit, or at least as much as any other recruit. He, and and it's a long shot that they're going to get him, but even if they get him, he's there for one year. Mm -hmm. Even if you get him and he is there for one year, who knows how much impact he'll have in one year. There's plenty of good freshmen every year. And again, we're only using this year as a as a case study, but only one who isn't a Florey Badunga type is in was in the Elite Eight, leading his team or helping his team, not even leading, but helping his team. Whereas all these other big names that are going to go straight to the NBA after one year, is it worth it, or are you better off just going full transfer portal? And 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 let me let me caveat it by saying, and refocusing your freshman efforts on guys that you know have the chance to be there for four years or three years, like a Gabe Cups, like a um, Ja'Kai Newton, like a Kayla Banks last year. You know, are, are you better off getting those kids and not even worrying about the one and dones because even if you get lucky on the one, one and done, who will make the major impact, maybe you get lucky once out of five years. So just playing the odds, is it even wise to be going after those guys where with where college basketball is today?
0: I'm going to say yes. And here's why. It's your job as a coaching staff to put together a roster to where, if a stud one and done comes in, they help you take that next leap. Syracuse has won one national championship in modern times. It was because of Carmelo Anthony, who was a freshman. It was also because that was an incredibly well constructed roster before Carmelo Anthony stepped on campus. It is but a he is an outlier. He is an outlier. 100% he is. But a lot of people will say, well, they won the title because of Carmelo. I would rephrase it. You don't win the title without Carmelo, but if he walks on campus to a bad roster, he's Romeo Langford. He's Syracuse Romeo Langford. Talent freshman comes in, averages 16. Well, Melo probably would average more, but he would have done a lot on a team that didn't do anything. So the, the elite guys can be the guys who take you from round of 32 to final four contender. They have that ability to potentially have that kind of impact. It's I'm trying family. to think of guys recently that have been
1: that. Well, where would we have been this season without Jalen Hood-Shafino? And I know he wasn't this slam dunk one and done. He he became that. It was very evident when we had our pro day before the season even started. Right. But but yeah, I mean, you're
2: right, Ward. But I argue that Jalen isn't in the group that I'm talking about. Okay, yeah, because before, when we recruited Jalen and Rabbi, we talked about it. We all thought the great thing about Jalen is you're going to have him for two years. Right. Like everybody thought that. And then he's just better than we all thought that his upside was so much higher than I think we all thought. So that's and it, different. And he
0: got there quicker.
2: Yes. Much no. quicker. In January Jalen
0: was what I thought sophomore Jalen was going to look like.
2: Yes. But you're Carmelo. Guys
0: who are, yeah. I hear what you're talking about, but I think it's still worthwhile if you have some chance, if they're in your state, if they're like from some program where you have real connections, like if there was a guy at Mount Verde where I use got connections, just grabbing recent situations. I use, yeah. you know, they have two kids from Mount Verde, Jalen and Jofino, Malik Renault. They're recruiting three others, you know, with, with, with Liam and Asa and Derek. So, okay, but wait, Rabbi,
2: I'm going to throw one more thing at you mm-hmm. because I think it complicates your argument. Okay. Two years ago, I think I would probably listen to the argument you just made and go, you know, you're probably right. NIL changes it for this reason. Those guys that you're talking about command a ton of money. That's a good point. And the money is not infinite. So is it worth going into your pool and taking a huge chunk of it for a roll of the dice that wants a generation comes up Carmelo and for all the other years of the generation comes up Brandon Miller and Romeo Langford and Eric Gordon and I mean I'm trying to think of others I mean Eric's not a fair one, because we were really good before the Samson stuff, so yeah. that that's not we don't know how that one ended, but Jalen Suggs is one that I'm thinking of. Like, they did go to the National Championship game with Jalen Suggs as a freshman, but yeah. Peyton Watson at UCLA, Amari Bailey at UCLA. Um, there's Kentucky. So, you know, na- name them at Kentucky. Uh, none of them have worked out. Name them at Duke. Zion Williamson. Like, it, it didn't work. Carmelo Is the roll of the dice, and if now you have to attach high six figures to that, does that change the calculus a little bit? And is the program better off for spending it on two four stars who are going to be there for four years?
0: That's an interesting point. Now that you throw that in there, as far as the NIL, and you know, you almost have to think of it. I know this people get upset when I say this but you almost have to think of it like a salary cap because Mm -hmm. it's not infinite amount of money right you want to pay the stud left tackle 17 million dollars a year and have no impact players at rush end and linebacker and cover corner or do you want to get a left tackle for 9 million and you get two other players and that that is something that is actually worth worth discussing and as IU and Philly has put on the board a number of times and I think everybody is familiar with his research at this point he's done a phenomenal job he's great um, yeah he's just he's tremendous IU and Philly typically What the is he
2: what is he like a warlock like what is he in <laughs> real life what, what, in real life does he have like a a stats based analytics based job is he in accounting or finance or something
0: I I my understanding from from trading some messages with him is is he at least was I don't know if he still is, okay. but at least he was. He does have uh, an analytics stats type background, and and he's really good at you know compiling the data, organizing the data, and then analyzing the data.
2: Yeah, I want to tell him, listen, man, I love what you're doing, but could you do it for the stock market?
0: And let us know
2: what to do there. Like it might benefit us more if you could just just focus
1: all of that energy on the NASDAQ and then let us all know. we be happy only, to pay for it. Only for pigs premium members.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Yes. Yes. Peak's info and we're gonna help you retire well.
0: Yes, exactly. <laughs> That'd be a heck of a sales pitch. Um but no, I you know, now that you mentioned that, that that is interesting. But I and I still think you know iu in philly says 30 to 80 is a sweet spot i think it's a little more like 30 to 100 but okay we're we're talking about just a few spots difference generally we're talking about same general ranges and i think that's where you go because then you get really good players who are multi-year players and i think that's the ideal really good players who are multi-year players you know um victor oladipo's of the world cody zeller's of the world you know guys who i mean cody was like almost a perfect situation because that was a mcdonald's all-american who played two years trace was tremendous uh yogi was you know ridiculously impactful as far as you get a mcdonald's all-american point guard who stays four years
1: yeah I mean, look around at
0: college basketball there aren't many of those dudes um so they don't have to be mcdonald's all-american levels but if they're even you know top 100 guys if you're top 100 and you stay in college for four years, you should be an impact player as an upperclassman. If you're not an impact player as an upperclassman, you screwed up or your coaches screwed you up. Okay, one of the two things happened. Something went off the rails because you should become an impact player. So if you, among the, of the freshmen you're getting, I still say I would go after the one and done stars if I felt I was going to have a well constructed roster and they took me from a roster that I looked at, said, mm, We might go the Sweet 16, to if we add a Jalen Harrelson or we add a Flory Badunga, we might go to the Final Four. The, the Final Four is what you play for. Okay. I, and I know some former IU players get mad when I say that. You don't understand what we need a Big Ten title means. It's hanging a banner. You're right. I probably don't because you know, as as if you didn't play, the players see it differently. They look up and they see their banner and they're proud of it, and that's great. And they absolutely should be proud of it. Winning a big Big Ten regular season title is an accomplishment. However, ask anybody: Would you rather finish fifth in the Big Ten and go to the Final Four, or would you rather win the Big Ten regular season, end the Big Ten tournament, and then you know lose in the first round of the NCAA tournament? I mean, do you think Purdue people are even remotely happy right now? No, no but they won the big 10, they won the big 10 tournament, you know, two of the three things that people, some people think are big, they won. Hey, and listen, listen, they so hey, I would actually, I, if if I had a well-constructed roster and a one and done was going to take me from, I'm going to make the tournament or I'm going to go to the sweet 16 to, I got a chance to go to the final four. I absolutely take them. Um, and, and I also think if we think about NIL in terms of salary cap, okay. Well, if it's one year and it's one great year, Another thing, thinking how how many people are going to donate to my my salary cap space if we go okay
2: to- fair yeah. So let me, but let me ask this real quick about Flurry, just to follow up. Okay, yeah. let's say Flurry was not a 2024 kid. Let's say Flurry was a 2023 kid. Same exact player, same buzz, all that with the Indiana roster, the way it is constructed right now. Is it smarter? Would it be smarter this year for Indiana to bypass Flory and go get guys with multiple years of eligibility, or would you still say go after Flory as much as you can?
0: I don't know. I, I think you need to – Indiana at some point needs program stability. Okay, the, the roster just needs to be better constructed year to year you know, this idea where it's been multiple years now, where there's been some degree of panic over next year, next, you know, even going back to, you know, Queen's next to last year, you know, when it actually did fall off, and they went to the NIT, didn't even win an NIT game. And then through Archie, there was always concerns. At some point, you need program stability. Um, and if well, wait, wait no, Crean's last
2: year was the NIT
0: loss. Right. But I'm saying his second to last year, there was already concern about next year. Oh, because yeah, of, yeah, yeah, they were losing. yeah. Coming off like of a his, Big
2: Ten championship.
0: Yeah. Right, right. But, but that year ended up being a lot better than expected. But even with that year, when that year was going on, people were like, well, what are we going to look like next year? Who are we right. going to get? How are we going to fill in? So the concern about next year existed even during the Big Ten championship run. And one of the things you want as a program is you want program stability. And yeah, that that can mean, hey, we're going to go in the portal every year for two or three guys. If you're going to do that with regularity, there's nothing wrong with doing that. But as far as this specific conversation goes, if Lori was 2023 and I'm Indiana and I don't know exactly what my roster is going to look like the next year, I would actually probably be thinking three years down the road more than having panic about the next season. I would want a really well-organized roster. I would want a real clear plan for how do we want to win in the future? Here it is. Here's the kind of guards we want. Here's the kind of wings we want. Here's what we want on the front court. Now, we're going to take the next three recruiting cycles, and we're going to build this roster really, really, really well. And then if we have a chance to add a Flory Bedonga or Jalen Harrelson or somebody like that, we go get them. But I think there needs to be a clear plan and organization and follow through on a plan, and when you start getting that, that's when you have program stability. That's when you have an opportunity for regular NCAA tournament success.
1: Okay, I want to go macro for a second, and what in my mind, it you know, we've seen this coming, we've talked about it, but it's to me, it's it's getting to a a critical juncture of what the hell is the big 10 got to do to become relevant? Because look, I mean, look, it was glorious and we could, I mean, we could talk for the next hour about Purdue losing in the NCAA tournament in historic fashion and arguably the worst loss in NCAA history. Ah, it's just, it feels great to say that. And this is the uplifting episode, but, um, When your champion goes out like that and your record, we, I believe six and eight, was the Big Ten's showing, which is what that's a pretty sweet 429 record in the Big Ten tournament or in the NCAA tournament this year. You know, never mind. Nobody's won it since the late 1950s when Tom Izzo was a young coach at Michigan State or however long it's been. Like, like, Rabbi, we were. And, and I know some of this is skewed because you have one team, you know, like UConn getting all the way through. And so it's looking better for their conference. But when you're looking at the national landscape and I know we have the FAU and the San Diego State coming through and we touched on that earlier, but just looking at our conference and what a steaming pile of dog shit it was this year and people every year they say, hey, we just beat ourselves up and it's our our rough and tumble style of play. But like it's really embarrassing at this point what this conference puts into March and and in and no and, and this is the worst it's been. I think this is as bad as it's been. And do you see any reason we might get better? Do you see the coaches I'm, I'm Micah just left, right? I mean, Mike has Micah officially taken the Notre Dame job? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so like there was one guy in the league playing modern basketball who's now no longer in the league. It's maybe worse that he's back in the state and will be even more difficult to recruit against. But as far as us and our conference trying to act like we're one of the best elite conferences in power five basketball uh, or or that power five basketball, how relevant that even is anymore in this day and age. What? Abby, what the hell are we gonna do to get another national championship? Not just in Bloomington, but in the conference.
0: Yeah, and I think it's yeah that's that's a great question, and that that's the big thing about the Big Ten, and it's not just win the national championship. I think it's to your point earlier, have a good showing by your conference in the tournament. You know, I mean, eight teams and you only win six games. I mean, you pretty much stunk. I mean, yeah. you really pretty much stunk up yeah. the joint. Uh, I think a couple of things need to happen. One. I think the Big Ten needs more athletic wings. You know, you, you need guys like Jordan Hawkins, Tristan Newton, guys like that from, from UConn, um, guys like Isaiah Wong from from Miami. We, we go through a, a number of different guys. One, I think more, IU, more Big Ten programs need that kind of roster construction, it's roster construction that's designed to win in the NCAA tournament. Two, I think the Big Ten has to stop having so many teams that just hold and clutch and grab and wrestle all the time in the post and on the perimeter. You know, when, when NBA scouts, I first started hearing them use the term tackle basketball, I thought, well, you know, it's physical on the block everywhere. What are you guys talking about? And they're like, we're not talking about what's happening in the paint. We're talking about on the outside where it's just clutch and grab and hold and no freedom of movement and, and just an awful style. So I think, that needs to change. I think part of that changing is better officiating. And that's something in that the Big Ten that I think has to happen. And, and it, some people say, well, this year's NCAA tournament was really physical. Agree. We all yeah. watched it. it. It was physical. It was more physical than NCAA tournaments in recent years have been. However, there still wasn't as much clutching and grabbing and holding every possession on the wings as there often is in the Big Ten every Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, I think that that needs to happen. And the other thing is, I think, I think you need a conference commissioner to come in, sit everybody down and say, we are done beating ourselves up for no reason. We are going to, as a conference, focus on helping you guys be in best position to win games in March. You need some conference level direction. Kevin Warren came in, he was a football guy. His job was negotiate the next TV deal. Everybody knew on a personal level or everybody believed, I should say, he wants to be NFL commissioner that he was going to come in, run a major conference, have that on his resume, do a big TV deal, have that on his resume then go back to the NFL. That was the expectation, at least that I heard behind the scenes. And it turns out that's exactly what happened. So if I'm the Big Ten, the next commissioner has to have, I mean, obviously football matters. Okay, let's be really honest about two things here. One one big thing that has two components. There are only two things happening in college sports right now on a major macro level. One, big time TV deals. Two, conference realignments. Both of those things are 100% driven by football. 100%. If they weren't, people will be falling all over themselves to go get Villanova. Nobody gives a crap about Villanova. Mm. No offense to Villanova. Nobody gives a crap about, oh, we got to go get Yukon. Nobody cares. But in the Big Ten, basketball does matter. And I think you need a commissioner who is going to understand the football components, but also is going to realize our teams need to do better in March. And we as a conference – Can help them i think that those are to me those are the things that need to happen at the big 10 level
1: and don't you see though the biggest roadblock to that one okay who do you get to be that commissioner but do you have the Izzos and the painters and the guards being like no 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 this is our conference We, we you know we play by our rules we've this is how we've always played and we want to continue to play it's like do you need an infusion of of maybe if you can't root those guys out just overwhelm them with other coaches on the other teams saying like we want to modernize what we're doing here because i I totally agree we have to be able to get that talent in those athletic wings but why would they show up when they can go to the sec or the acc or, or almost anywhere else and be like, no, no, this is already what they're doing here. You keep your you keep your uh, rough and tumble style. I'm going to be down here where it's warm and I have some freedom of movement.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I think if you're a new commissioner, you. You got to come in armed with data to the to the Izos and painters and guards of the world. And say, look, this is what's happening in the NCAA tournament. These are the conferences who are winning. These are the teams who are winning. This is how these teams are constructed. We need to modernize the Big Ten, and I just think you have to get them on board. And you know that might that might be a whole lot easier said than done. Right. I do think that's something that the Big Ten needs to do. And I think that's you know, I mean, if I'm the Big Ten, I I, I go get Jim Phillips out of the ACC. You can pay him more. He's a Midwest guy. He's a big 10 guy. Just go get him, figure it out. I mean, at some point in time with these mega deals, it's just sheer power of will and utilization of resources. And if I'm the big 10, I put together some people. I say, Jim, where do you want to go play golf? Where do you want to go? We're going to go, whatever, run a golf course. I don't care. And I tell my people, you're not leaving until he's agreed. Okay. Okay. And if instead of making him 1.5 a year, he needs to be at 1.8, offer him 1.9, make him feel really one. Want- just get it freaking done. And I know there's a lot of qualified people in college athletics. I get that. But when you have a clear home run hire, you go get the guy. You just go get him.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. It's interesting. I On the Michigan State of it all and Izzo, I think you saw like – in the Kansas state game that, that Michigan state lost, which was one of the best college basketball games in recent memory. Yeah. Izzo does what he has to do in the big 10 or, or how he thinks he has to but he's got the talent to play that style. Probably him and Michigan mm-hmm. probably have the talent to play the style. That's more like the ACC, SEC, big 12, big East than anybody else in the conference. And it's probably why he has the most success mm-hmm. because he is able to play that style when it's time to play that style. I do think to the big 10 conversation, USC and UCLA coming into the conference will have some impact there. They do get the talent that we have not been able to get both of them, you mm-hmm. know, SC 2 SC, it doesn't have the same success, but recently SC has been pretty good and they get a lot of, very athletic talent from the west coast mostly, but they also are national recruiters. And bringing two more teams into the conference that play more of a you know a little bit more spread out, free flowing game might help you know pull the big 10 kicking and screaming into 2023 and beyond basketball. Um, but I want to relate it back to the transfer portal if we can for a second. And Ward, you talked about why would these players come. Rabbi, when we're talking about a guy like Timberlake or a guy like Ledlam, these are guys that, you know, they have... Timberlake's got, what, one year of eligibility left? Correct. Does Ledlam have more than one, or is he one also? He has one. All right, so they got one year left. My guess is both of them want to go deep in the tournament. They would like to have a team that can go deep in the tournament, and they also want to have one year to expose their game to the widest possible audience in the best possible way. That doesn't mean playing great defense. I mean, it just doesn't. Like, they're going to have to play good defense, but they're going to have to showcase their offensive skill. Are we just behind the eight ball in recruiting against a North Carolina or a Duke or a Kentucky or UCLA or a Kansas when it comes to, like, just take Timberlake? Why would a Timberlake... Why would he choose Indiana to showcase his skill, which is offensive as opposed to going to you know North Carolina? I, I, I it just I find it even hard to understand how we would win that through nobody's fault on Indiana, but the conference and what it looks like.
0: I mean, if you're asking me to come up with a really good answer <laughs> on that big picture question, uh, I don't know if there's a great answer. I think if you're looking at it specifically from things that Indiana has to sell, you sell the very big stage of IU basketball. You know, you sell, you know, hey, TV wants us. Look, you know, they they, they brought us out to Vegas for, you know, that game against Arizona. They put us in big games. They wanted us to come play against Kansas. Um so you, you would sell the big stage, you would sell the TV opportunity, you would sell, you know, we have a robust NIL situation, you know, here, here's Trace Jackson Davis, here's some you know, here it just, those are the things you would sell. And, but you do have to oftentimes overcome style of play because yeah. people outside the big 10 who are recruiting against the big 10, they often, they do this, I've seen this. They'll put together clips of some of the worst, you know, I'm like my most physical Big Ten plays where where no fouls called, mm. and they'll have their video guys just hey, you know, we're recruiting this forward. Fine, fine, find me ten plays in Big Ten where four just got mauled and there was no call, and they'll send them to the kid. Be like, you really want to play in this? They'll send them to his trainer. Hey, Ward, you've been around Eric, you've been training him. Let me send you some stuff. Do you want him to play in this? Do you want this to happen to him every weekend? Yeah. The Big Ten. Is- <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't expecting that answer, but I like it. But it's it's something the Big Ten hit, gets hit with. And it's, it's like a, a speed bump that the Big Ten has to overcome oftentimes in recruitments. Now, yeah, sure. You'll get some kids in the Midwest who grew up wanting to play in the Big Ten because of familiarity or they went to games with mom and dad or what have you. And maybe there's even a favorite school. But when there's not those natural built-in advantages, style of play is something that Big Ten has to overcome. And yeah. it's, it's a hurdle. I mean, it, 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 and it, it's, it's frustrating to a number of us who, who cover basketball and cover recruiting on a national scale that why, if you were trying to succeed in any endeavor, why would you put speed bumps in front of yourself? Right. It makes no sense it just doesn't make any sense. And if you were winning national titles or regularly having teams go elite eight, final four or something like that, if a style was leading to success, then keep doing it. But when a style is not leading to success and is actually a hindrance, it just doesn't make any sense. It really does not make any sense that the Big Ten has allowed its basketball product to become this pedestrian. And it is pedestrian, okay? Eight teams in the tournament had a grand total of six wins. I'd probably be nice by calling that pedestrian.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. Real quick before we wrap up here, we talked about him a couple times but didn't get into details. The ek kid from Wyoming, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What can you tell us about him? Is that somebody that Indiana is going hard after? He, he does seem more of a traditional big, unless I'm I'm wrong there.
0: No, a hundred percent. You're a hundred percent. Right. Uh, I think a lot of people might remember him from when, the, uh, uh, he played against, uh, Indiana in the first four last year. Uh, he is a traditional big, uh, 19.5 points, 9.6 rebounds. Um, he had a really good or a pretty good offensive rebounding rate, 11.1. Um, doesn't block a lot of shots. Isn't, isn't really a big bouncy kind of guy. Um, You know, he sat out this past season because he had an injury, Um, but the season before, uh, you know, he was a primary reason that uh, he was able to get Wyoming to the NCAA tournament. Um, And and an interesting, you know, side note, uh, comes from the same high school as Deron Davis, the former IU post player, both from from Overland out there in Colorado. But, yeah, he's pretty much – he's a traditional big who you would throw the ball to uh, on the block.
2: That one sounds – the worst (laughs) I mean (laughs) it it, I I don't I'm not trying to I I don't I've never seen the kid play outside of the the game that I was at against Wyoming uh, against Wyoming in Dayton but and he killed us that game right like he he had like
0: 17 points nine rebounds I think it was yeah
2: he went at trace I remember oh yeah had a really good game but he does seem like on paper the exact thing we don't want Like, because then if you get him and you have Malik, then you do not have complementary skills. Then you are playing old school power forward on the left block center in the right block. Like that does worry me more, a player like that. Am I off base there?
0: (laughs) Uh, I mean, I think that is the concern. Um, And again, just to so be clear, you're not saying anything bad about Grammeiki. You're no, talking No, no. Does those do those particular skills additionally enhance the IU's roster in a way that suggests NCAA tournament success? Right. Um and I th- I think it's I think it's a legit question. You know, I don't, you know, there were times this past year when, you know, IU would throw the ball to Trace on one block and they would have Race cut to the other block. Yes. And it was like why are you taking away space from your best player who is best in space? Right. <laughs> it just, I, it, I don't know. It raises questions and, but you know, it's adding, adding another post player is, is something Mike Woodson wants to do. So I think barring change, I think that's that's probably likely as we sit here in the early portion of the transfer portal,
2: but, but not all post players are, are equal. Like there are, and I'm not saying better or worse. I'm saying different styles. Like, if you get a rim-running athletic center that who can block shots, like, that's a very different type of player than a guy who has to be back to the basket and right, just dump right. the damage to
0: you No, know, there, there are different kinds of players. And, and some guys who are longer and bouncy, you know, can be the rim protector, the rim runner, and they don't really have – but on offense, they don't have to go on the block. You know, they can, they can set screens, they can do some different things. So just because you have a tall man doesn't mean you have a big man as far as where he is positioned on the court. There are some tall men who can do different things and function outside the paint. And I really think the ideal for IU, in my opinion, would be one of those longer, bouncier kind of guys who you don't have to just have him sit on the block. And you can have him do things outside the paint. And ideally it would be somebody who can run. You know, if you got somebody who can run, get a little more in transition, that would help you, too, as far as an offense efficiency standpoint goes.
1: So we just get Florida reclassified at 23 is what is what you're saying.
0: It's funny. There was an NBA scout who watched him. uh, Where were we at? Oh, NBA top 100 kid last summer. And he said he told me, he said, I would draft him today. Wow. And I was like, wait a minute. He's got another year of high school. I was like, "No, he's got two more years in high school." He's like, "Yeah, I would draft him today."
1: Wow. Well, and I mean, it's crazy to me just thinking about the local guy who does that at the highest level, who seemingly has been in the league for like twelve years, but he's still only what, like, twenty six or twenty seven? Miles Turner, right? Like, oh, yeah, you know, just just this guy who was so relatively raw, but just had all these physical skills, and being like, well it might take a few years, but he's so young. We just, we just know that floor is extremely high and the ceiling's crazy good. Um, You know, it's just, uh, it's just so tantalizing to have a talent like that in state and to think about it. But, you know, obviously there's a lot of factors at play and there's, there's still time for it all to play out, but Hey, the whole family was there hey let's talk about that real quick wherever eric went i don't know this is great i have you by myself eric just (laughs) disappeared um so so
0: that's pretty good work by you just making somebody vanish i'm like stay on the award side good side he can make people disappear
1: he should never make me co-host i'll do this every time um, you did. You sent me a text that you were just loving nerding out with some high school basketball. Just talk a bit about being there for the state finals, around true Hoosier hysteria in the high school state sense. Um give it give us a little recap of your experience there.
0: Yeah, it, it was it was a terrific day. And I really enjoy state championship Saturday. Um, you know, as long as I use not playing that day, um, I'm I'm gonna be there. And I remember even a couple years ago, IU lost in the Sweet 16 in Philadelphia on a Friday night. Uh, Mike Pegram and I got up at like 4.40 a.m., got in the car to drive to Indy so I could be there for the state finals. And I think I got there with like 30 minutes to go in the 3A game, saw the entire 4A game. It's just such a great day. and. There was so much anticipation for that kokomo ben davis game that the place was sold out and they actually in the afternoon started selling standing room only tickets mm. to nba arena for a high school state championship game and that place was absolutely jacked it was packed there were people standing i mean there were people who were in the in the areas they're like i'm like can you even really looking at them like can you really see the game or did you <laughs> even, like, tell people i was there um and kokomo has had a great following all year, really going back to last year and really throughout their history. You know, they have, a, you know, their history, a tremendous yeah. history there at Kokomo. But obviously, they were very excited for this year and a chance to get to state. And then Ben Davis entered the game 32 and 0. They went unbeaten going through the MIC, the Metropolitan Interscholastic Conference, which is the big 4A conference here in Indianapolis. And to go unbeaten coming through the MIC is a heck of an accomplishment. Ben Davis' defense, easily one of the best I've seen in 20 years, easily argument for it to be the best it's up there with lawrence north when they had odin conley it's up there with the warren central's defense on their unbeaten team from a few years back the team that actually knocked romeo and and new albany out of the playoffs right but it was it was a tremendous day the crowds were incredible got a chance to see matt roth obviously you know year one coach matt roth leads blackhawk christian to a state championship game he did a phenomenal job They were playing against Linton Stockton, which has Joey Hart,
1: Mm -hmm. big-time
0: shooter, three-point shooter, going to Central Florida. And uh, Hart, I think, had somewhere around 18, 19 points in the first half. Roth makes an adjustment, puts his 6'8 sophomore on him in the second half. I think Hart went something like one for 14 in the second half or five points. So I was like, wait a minute. Look at Matt Roth over there, just flipping levers, figuring out, okay, what do we got to do? They ended up winning, I think it was 52, 45, 47, something like that um so very enjoyable day and it is so cool to see those high school kids get to play in that atmosphere for a state championship like the state championship in Ohio I think the attendance was somewhere around 3,000 uh, something like that maybe a little less maybe a little more but just around there yeah in other states where state championships are, are held and it's like 1,300 people 1,500 hmm. people 1,800 people one of, one of my friends in, in up in New York was all excited. One time, he's like, "Yeah, we we moved this over to I think they moved it to Christ the King, maybe somewhere. Like, we're gonna have like fifteen hundred people at state finals." And I was like, "We have fifteen hundred people freaking middle school games on Saturdays." I'm like, "Get <laughs> your ass on a plane, come here to Indiana, and look at what this stuff is really about." And I, you know, I tweeted out a picture and a quick video of it, and some of my buddies who cover recruiting in other states, they're like. Is that really like that's Banker's life? That well was now called Cambridge, but yeah. yeah, like where the Pacers play. So yeah. And it's full. Yeah. What part of sold out is really difficult for you to understand, <laughs> but yeah, it, was, it was, it was, it was a terrific day. There, there were, there were some really good games. There were terrific performances, um, you know, and, and Zane Doty, the kid from Ben Davis deserves a ton of credit kids. he's currently signed with Valpo. They had a coaching change. We'll see where it goes, but he played against. Flory Bedunga, as well as anybody I've seen. Mm. High school, AAU, camp setting, NBA top 100 camp, where they put guys against other guys. I mean, Flory Bedunga destroyed Aaron Bradshaw. The five-star 2023 kid is going to Kentucky. Destroyed him. I mean, just crushed him down there there in Orlando. And Zane Doty just, you know, heart, hard work, positioning, physical. And I think he realized, hey, Flory's great. He's quick. He's going to spin on me sometimes and dunk. Don't worry about it. Go to the offensive end. Post up really hard. Make him have to work. Yeah. You know, uh, so the the points, center position, Doty versus Bedunga was I think 19 to 18 or something. Very close. Anyway, whatever the final numbers were, very close. And it was just a terrific inning. Cause that 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 Zane Doty, that's a kid who really, really, really had to work to make himself a player. Um, freshman just kind of you looked at him and, well, he's kind of tall, but eh. You know, I mean, nobody was paying him any attention as a freshman, probably not really as a sophomore, although he started to get a little better. But that kid deserves a ton of credit. And then, you know, Don Carlisle, who's now coaching Ben Davis, he started to move into some really interesting territory because he is, you know, he's won two state titles as a player. He's got a state title and a state runner up as a coach. I believe he's only one of five people in the state of Indiana to win a state title, a boys basketball state title as a player and as a coach. And he's, he's only in his forties, you know? So yeah. Don Carlisle's coaching career, Ben Davis, for the people who like, you know, me who really enjoy nerding out about, you know, the Indiana state finals and who's successful and who's coming up, you know, Don Carlisle's moving up the ranks. And then you look at Matt Roth, year one wins a state title. He's a young guy. Blackhawk Christian's got a terrific program. You know, I, you know, what's what's Matt Roth? You know, does Matt Roth, is he gonna do a long term? Is he not? I, we'll see. But this could be pretty interesting to follow
1: moving forward. There's so many great stories, uh, personalities, fan bases. But just to to sum it up for Eric, who's finally joined us, the power is back on at his house, is that. I think with the demise of single class basketball, you know, which which happened very shortly after I graduated from high school. And not long after that, I moved out here to hear that high school basketball is still so alive and well, even within the class system. It's just very heartening because it's it's such a special singular state um in in that passion and in that regard and and you said guys texting from new york what the situation was in ohio is there really any other state that comes close that you've heard of because to to me right you know that there's no i mean
0: illinois used to hold its state finals at the university of illinois and back in the day when you often because illinois used to have just two classes so a lot of times in the big school class, you would have somebody from the Chicago area coming down and then somebody from the rest of the state. So it was sort of like, OK, can a team from Peoria, from Carmel, from Southern, Southern, can they beat the power from Chicago? So you sort of had this, this annually expected clash, and they drew some pretty good crowds. They really did. Um, but it's not the same. It's not the same as as Indiana. It's just not. Not, not when you have... You know sectional finals and regionals and like what was it that one day where I went watch Gabe Cups in the afternoon, then drove over to Kokomo, and it's like Kokomo is just jammed. I mean, it's jammed. I had to like go around and like knock on the back door because they were like, "Ah, oh, sold out. Nobody else is getting in." I was like, "I'm getting in. I don't how. I'm getting in." So I go around the back, knock on the back door. <laughs> held up some random media pass. I don't even it wasn't even for that game, but it was one of the laminated <laughs> ones. It was like, yeah, you know, and pointed 24 7 sports pass. Did I come to the wrong door acting like I don't know where I am? A place I've been 20, 30 times. So, cop opens the door. Yeah, come on in. So, I walked in, found a seat. But that place was just jammed. And that was, I think that was sectional final. And it was absolutely packed. Yeah, you know, that's so cool. Indian high school basketball is alive and well, and I would say quite healthy.
2: Two things. One, the power went out, and I thought for sure that when I came back on, I would just hear Ward saying the following. And that's why it's a fact that the aliens are already here. <laughs> I just thought for sure that that's where it would go. Um, but number two, a bit of breaking news that will not be breaking news when this airs tomorrow. But someone else has entered the transfer portal that I do think is interesting and should be followed for Indiana University and that is Virginia center, six foot 11, Caden Shedrick. That's Caden's correct. story is that he was a starter at the beginning of the year, got benched till the end of the year. There was an injury. He played again. He had a giant game in Virginia's loss in the first round of the tournament 15 points, 13 rebounds. He's a rim running, mobile, athletic, shot blocking center. I think that this one is very interesting. And I'll just say, I've been alluding to a guy that might go into the portal that may not have the greatest stats in the world, but that Indiana would be very interested in. This is who I was referring to. He's officially in the portal. Rabbi, any words on the late breaking news of Caden Shedrick being in the transfer portal?
0: Well, in case you were wondering what all those dings were on the
1: phone, uh, <laughs> let's see, guys. Uh, does this mean that I don't have to edit out the part where I accidentally mentioned him earlier? No,
2: you don't have to edit that out. <laughs> yeah. Although it just makes us sound stupid,
0: but well, sure. Yeah,
1: but that's what people show up for. I mean, us to sound stupid, and then a Rabbi to sound smart.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. So, of these eight most recent texts, six are about Caden Jedrick.
1: Are we going to go after this guy? Are we going to just go go full bore after him, do we know?
0: I would anticipate an IU pursuit.
1: I would bet my
0: house on an IU pursuit. Well, see, you're willing to gamble more than I am, but yes. I I, <laughs> I don't I would not bet against you on that. I would not put $1 against your house on that bet.
1: We'll call it, we'll call it the, uh, Armand Franklin revenge recruitment.
0: <laughs> I like that. I
2: like that. Look, we talked about a mobile center, you know, and not a just pure back to the basket guy. Kane Shedrick is a guy who I think has been frustrated by the fact that he hasn't been able to play that game at Virginia within the Tony Bennett offense. Um, he's entered the portal, uh, This is the kind of guy that Indiana wants to have in, in its program, but so will many other programs. Like there are, and I, I believe there are already some West coast programs that are going to make a big play for him, including Gonzaga and Oregon. um, I believe are going to make a play for him. So this thing is not like, this is not one of those where I expect a commitment to Indiana tomorrow. Um, I think it's going to play out and they got to get the kid on campus but it's clearly going to be—he just fits everything that they would want in a in a in a transfer senior. And I think he has two years of eligibility left, if I'm not mistaken, because I think he does have a COVID year.
0: Uh, I think that's right. I'm I'm pretty sure that's right
2: because I think this was his junior year. Right.
0: I think his first year was
2: the COVID year, and right. uh, he would be he would be a grad transfer, though I believe, because I think he's going to graduate
0: from Virginia. I think so. I got to double check. Yeah, I'm not
2: 100% on that. But anyway, there you go. Um, All right. Well, that seems like a good place to stop. Rabbi, your insight is always appreciated. It's been way too long since we got on one of these. And it's really good to have you back. And now we've taken you away from work. You need to go post and write and call and tweet and text and do what you do. And we will be watching.
0: So you think it's okay if I go ahead and post the Caden Shedrick story that's been written for like six days? <laughs>
1: it's it's send. <laughs> that was a guest. That was a
2: guest. It's been too long. Love having Rabbi Rab Johns, DJ Jazzy Jeff, the rabbi of recruiting, back in. And a really interesting conversation too on just the I mean, since we started this podcast word the world of college basketball has changed. Like, I mean, 180 degrees. There was no real transfer portal. When we started this, there was no NIL when we started this, you know, it's just a different world. And, and I think rabbi has got, got some really good insight on, on how coaches are, are navigating it.
1: Yeah. He, it's such a, a treat and a privilege for us to be able to have rabbi on because there's nobody on earth i i like to learn from more who knows more about all the different aspects of the college game from recruiting to what's happening onto the court big picture what's going on with the conferences you know the money all of it he's just so tapped in um, that it he feels like the ultimate cheat sheet. It's like, do you want to like really understand the college basketball landscape all the way down to like the micro level of what's happening with your beloved Indiana Hoosiers? Okay, here's the best guy on earth to talk to. That and also
2: you set a Hoosier hysterics record on this episode. Do you know what it was? For saying coin of the realm? Well, that for sure, you set that record. <laughs> But you also did break, I think, your own record for longest question ever. No way. You got to go time it, man. You started asking a question. I went outside. My dog took a dump. Yeah. By the way, the dog took two laps around the yard first, took a dump. Look, Look. I quit. Hold on. I cleaned it up. Mm -hmm. I cleaned it up. I threw it away. I came back in. I got a snack. Mm-hmm. I ate the snack.
1: Because you're so interested in what I have to say.
2: No, I could hear it all. Uh-huh. I could hear it all. But okay. I had to let the dog out. I had to let the dog out. But then I could. you were still going. Uh, it's impressive. It's impressive. I just want you to go back and time it.
1: No, I won't. You can. But here's what I'm going to say to you, sir. You, you will go for, like, sometimes, I'd say on average, 15 to 20 minutes about whatever. And then you'll have a question.
2: Well, I'll I, rant. I give you, I will rant. you I, you ask I, it all in the frame of a question.
1: Yeah, but I'm just I'm just getting in sort of my point of view, my perspective leading up to the question. So maybe it feels like one long run on sentence that would go for like three and a half pages in a college textbook that has a question mark at the end of it. And yours would be the same length, but then you'd have like a period at the end of your rant and then you'd ask a question.
2: I will give you that. I will go on a rant, but it is a clear rant. You hold the record for questions. proudly okay i just think we should time it because it is impressive it is a
1: continuous question for i'm gonna guess four minutes look people people tune in because they know we have these just really extraordinary abilities to just spew crap out of our mouth without look hey we don't write these things people believe it or not this is not scripted (laughs) (laughs) no one ever thought it was
2: all right follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics for the Hysterics no E no I but
1: but the the sometimes
2: sometimes why why. really fun episode loved talking to Matt Roth loved uh, bringing Rabbi in to get his opinion and transfer portal recruiting just keep refreshing Peaks because news is coming fast and furious you never know which way it's going to go could be some news this week let's see what happens
1: Never a dull moment. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear a screaming shout. Our love of Indiana is mannequin devout. Everything I do, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another battle. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, well, who's your hysterics? Who's your hysterics? Who's your hysterics?
2: I, I am so fucked on where we are. Do Did we do everything that we yeah. need to do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we we have coming out of, so that goes into Matt. We have coming out of Matt Roth <laughs> yeah, we're good. But wait, then coming out of Matt Roth, we into did the Rabbi Ventures set, but the IU Ventures set up, and then that goes into Rabbi. Correct. And you're keeping all this in, aren't
1: you? Yeah, I mean, I think I put it after after the theme song at the end as bonus material for anybody who sticks around. Yeah, this one was a real mindfuck. <laughs> um,
2: all right. I guess we're done. <laughs>